Right, we're back for the newest episode of Summoning Insight. Lots going on in the world. Of course, we are sponsored still by The Freespipe, thanks to thefreespipe.com, code LFN for 10% off. Now, when it comes to marijuana smoke and in general hip-hop culture, one thing I've learned is you must always respect your OG. So, of course, Freespipe has the OG Freespipe, the big pipe where instead of just using it as a normal pipe and having to put up with the smoke, you take the freezer, food safe glycerin section, put it in the freezer section for an hour, it comes back, cools the smoke by 200 degrees, and then you get to enjoy the cannabis. But there are actually... It's like the Matrix, isn't it? It's like upgrades. There's more stuff now. They've got more stuff. So you know how Biggie said that line? He said, take notes and t- he said something like, take notes and take tokes of the marijuana smoke. Well, here's the <laughs> thing. You don't even have to take smoke now when you want to take notes <laughs> with the marijuana because you can just use a pen, can't you? And this pen is vapor, vape. So that means no smoke involved whatsoever. And you can see it's quite small. Comes in this cool little package here. Quite literally, has a little... You know, Snowflake logo on. Just small. Comes, use the cartridge-based system. It's got a battery inside. It's got the charger, USB-C charger, all that jazz. And as well as that, if I was to say to you at Worlds, after what I saw in the LCS playoffs, I think Cloud9 will be complete trash. And any team that they can't just scale against and have the ADC win, so any team where you have to have it solo laners, for example, I think they'll just get dummied on, even by maybe PCS. That would be considered quite a blunt tip. They also have blunt tips. They have the glycerin <laughs> blunt tip there. By the way, if you're wondering, the thing with this is you use it for a blunt or a joint etc to even cool the smoke of that but unlike the freeze pipe which is the whole bong setup they have all sorts of dabs bubblers oil rigs etc this one is easier than that you just pop the, this actual whole section in the freezer thing for 20 minutes and then you're good to go with a blunt or a joint so there you go 10% off with the code lfn at thefreezepipe.com excellent excellent uh yeah and as we've said too they released their new martini bubbler so if you want a piece of glass this is a good one um lots of new products coming down so thank you very much the freeze pipe again guys best way to support us support our sponsors we love and we will pipe. soon be doing another one of those like cringe yep. compilation ones in association with freeze pipe so yes we will so if you like the first cringe compilation uh many of you did so you've been submitting videos uh, a good place to do that is on our discord in the video submissions channel and we'll be going through that uh next week and recording that for you guys so you can enjoy. Um, on to League of Legends. There are so many interesting topics that have just dropped in the last few days, Thorin. So I want to get... missed last week's episode. So <laughs> to be fair, last... I, I was exactly. actually here on that day. So if, to, yeah. it, to be fair, we can even at some point rewind the clock and do the whole LCK finals if you want. <laughs> sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but at, outside of game stuff, there's some, there's some big news that has dropped. Uh, so... Where do, you, where do you want to start? We have Gabby Durden, who is retiring from League of Legends esports. We have Ibai saying that he has spent three million of his own dollars to prop up the company Infinite Reality, which owns Rogue, which bought Rogue slash Koi. It's a very interesting story. Uh, what else do we have? We also have an interview with our favorite not journalist, 
Travis Gafford. I don't with- even know if they should be called interviews when he does them like that, man. Because here's the problem. When he does it with players, it's an interview. When he does it with like industry people, they so clearly obviously set the terms of what he can and can't talk about. As far as I'm concerned, he's essentially just helping them make a better PR statement, if you know what I mean. Like, like it's just an interactive PR statement. It's not really like an actual interview, is it? But yeah. I think we start actually on the Gabby Durden one. We can knock that okay. one out quickly. Because actually, if people don't know, she's basically announced she won't be involved with LCS next year. 2024, which comes on a year in which, I mean, I mean, I'll just say it straight up. I've tried thinking about this as eSports historian. Dude, I think this might be the most disliked slash reviled slash hated talent I've seen maybe ever in Western League of Legends. Like, even as much as people might say they bagged on, like, Frost Goring, that was, like, a specific vocal minority didn't like Frost Goring. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bullshit reasons, quite frankly. But in this particular case, especially Reddit, I mean, if you just go and read the thread, Monty, where she says she's basically stepping down, there's not even anyone who's just sort of like, oh, I actually thought she was all right. Everyone's just, like, hating on her. Just like, yeah, good, get out. She was bad. But I actually think the first place to start this discussion, in my opinion, like all, like, essay premises, is you have to exactly Examine the premise. So one thing I found really weird about this is it is implied to me, Monty, if you look at what she did on LCS and how she's leaving completely, she's not taking like a step back, different role. If you look at this and combine it with what happened with Dash, where he clearly had a vision of what he wanted to do, but then they wanted him to do something else. I get the vibe. I want to get your take on it because you actually know more about the inside baseball of LCS than me. Is it implied if you are going to be in the position of a Dash or a Gabby Durden? You can't just be the desk person. You can't just be the interview person. It's seems like they want you to also be the commentator. They want you to sort of be like a jack of all trades. I know it's in general, it's like a Western League thing, because obviously in LEC people know analyst and cast is the same thing. It just depends which game you're on. So is it implied, do you think, that like she couldn't just be the desk in the interview person? Because by the way, as I've said many times, I actually think she was good at that role. I actually yeah. thought she did a good job after the LCS Championship. I think she did a pretty good job setting stuff. But she clearly, by the way, the saddest thing about this to me is she obviously does have authentic passion for League of Legends. Like she yeah. wasn't just mailing that in. She's not a great actor. I could tell she actually did like the game and cared about it. So what do you think on that? Is there some sort of thing where you have to be all all in, do you think, to be in this role? So I think it's I think it's really hard right now. I, I mean, I've complained about this multiple times as regards to L- LCS talent, because I don't think that the job is particularly difficult when you compare it to working in other regions. So even to this day in the LCK, obviously the casters are there five days a week. You know, you do two best of threes when you're casting on LCK and you do two best of threes when you're on the desk at LCK and they switch off on those roles. And I think it just means you can have fewer people on the broadcast, right? And I really have never understood why it is, from a casting perspective, that you do two or three best of ones a day as a caster within the LCS, which has always been kind of the meta. Because remember, when people were doing this in the LCS, I was doing two best of threes a day, casting them five days a week in in LCK. So, you know, you don't need this many people is what I'm saying. And you certainly don't need this many people when you could have the casting team do two best of threes and then use those same people for the desk for the other two or three best of or best of ones rather within a day, right? It's not hard to work five games two or three days a week. And you can switch between casting and the desk. So if I was Riot and I was trying to cut costs, Thorin, what I would do is exactly what they've done this year which is they brought in everybody all, under the, all the sun. people, yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> they bring in everybody yeah. under the sun as a test. 
So here's what you do. This is by the way, it goes without saying when Monty says that they're paying the way less, like they're paying yes. the minimum possible rate, basically. Yeah, even they're, if, they're even paying. Even if they were a big, like, small name, the whole point is they're so glad to be there, they're all going to take whatever they're offering, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they will pay them. They will end up paying less. So it really means that I think this year they were testing things. They were testing bringing in some of the contenders casters uh, using people like Gabby in order to see, does it affect viewership, right? But the answer is going to be no, by the way. It doesn't affect viewership because if you don't have a competing product, if you have the monopoly and you're not offering people two streams with the same casters, which has been an experiment run in the past. I, I've told this story before, but I was part of the two times this experiment was run. One time, uh, the experiment was run with me and Doa casting StarCraft against Tasteless and Artosis. Same games. Obviously, Tasteless and Artosis got all of the viewership. The second time this was run was when Riot introduced Spo TV as a competitor to OGN, and we were both broadcasting all of the games. Some of them were in Spo TV studios. Some of this them were in OGN studios. Yeah. yeah, this is 2015. This was LCK. Well, before it became LCK, but yes, Champions Korea. Um, and so what happened, guys, is that it even when they care, by the way, y'all just mixing up your years. <laughs> That's LS fair. wasn't there in 2014, mate. Come on, mate. <laughs> no. came out years later. It's like 2016 or something. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was 20, it was 2015. Um, so what happened was LS was in the Spo TV studio, uh, with Valdez a lot of the time. And then Doa and I, or Papa Smithy or Achilles were casting OGN. And even in, when the games were not in the OGN studio. So when we were just in like a closet at OGN, we still got all of the viewership. So there's clear precedent that if you give people choices among broadcasters, that there is there are favorites, and you would think that those favorites would be compensated in a way that would make would be commensurate with that. So what I but if there's no other choice, right, then some people are going to go to co-streams, obviously, which have been eating up a larger and larger percentage of the LCS viewership as the LCS viewership has declined. Um, and so I think what their data is going to say is that it doesn't matter who the broadcasters are. And so we should be, if we're paying somebody a day rate, they should be doing more games, which is something I agree with, by the way. I think these people work not enough, in my, in my opinion. And if you can't be flexible between casting and, uh, and being on the desk, I would rather just hire one group of like five people for the day, five or six people for the day, pay them all a day rate, and then switch them out. As we've seen from LCK, the play-by-play -play casters can ask, act as a host role, and you have a couple of analysts in there in order to kind of fill out the information on the desk and in the broadcast. So to me, to answer your question, like I'm incredibly cynical because of what I've seen and what I think it means uh, for the LCS broadcast, which is that they are potentially, I think, I think Gabby was probably not offered a renewal um, based oh, on, right. I mean, I could be wrong on that one. I could be wrong. That's not information, but I think that they're probably going to, trim down the broadcast crew for next year and have been using this as a way to do it. They have the um, perfect smoke screen, as I say, with the fact she was just, unfortunately, with the vocal minority, incredibly unpopular. So it's just also a really convenient way to, first of all, she gets the out because she gets to say like, well, obviously I don't want to keep doing it if I'm going to get like abuse. And then they yeah, just yeah. get to go, oh, it wasn't working. So we're switching to someone new. So, you know, I think, um, I think it's tough. I think it's going to be tough. I think that people are looking, obviously, for cost cutting within esports right now, and the one of the ways you can do that is simply trying to find cheaper talent and then squeezing more out of them based on time. 
So I would anticipate that this is this is coming down the pipe right now. The sad thing is, though, what I actually do hear about it is if you know anything about the casting circle, when these people who've only casted challengers or like CB LOL or something, you know, like they've been out there in the wild doing what they can to get some experience. When they get to announce Monty, like I'm doing LCS next week, they think it's their moment of like, I've made it like, you know, I'm finally here. Like this is going to be my career. And it's like, bro, you aren't like this, like Monty's saying, this is a cynical move where like even if you're awesome like eventually you're going to be too good to keep the job yes. because they're just going to do the same thing in two years yep. if you come along and say like, as a, someone like a dash did like but I'm really good and I'm established everyone likes me can I have twice as much money I'm, I'm making up the number there can I have twice as much they're going to go no and in fact we're just going to re reboot the cycle we're going to get another person who comes from the smaller region who will do it for less than you're doing now we'll start with him again and even worse like Monty's saying because you don't have some like I told everyone this would happen with Dash, you would all gaslight me. No, no, I really care about Dash. I like, I care. You didn't, even, not only did he not watch his stream, but eventually you forget he exists. You just keep watching LCS. So what happens eventually is you think it's going to have some big monumental impact. It doesn't. Like we all tune in and watch the same game. It's just we grumble about the new caster. Like Riot's not actually wrong. Like it is the best way to save money, unfortunately. Yes. Especially if you if you don't really care about like the raw quality of the product. If it's just about getting the something makeshift out there, this is this is actually a pretty good route to go if you don't want to spend money. And and look, I mean, I I saw the writing on the wall with this in League of Legends because as soon as Riot started absorbing Korean League of Legends and messing with it, it became very clear that I was not going to have any kind of negotiating leverage because if they ate everything which they did, it just becomes a monopoly. And that's why no caster can negotiate rates right now. Uh, and it's a huge, huge problem for the casters because they they have no power to negotiate better rates for day rates for themselves because there's only one company to negotiate against and they're just setting the market, whether that's fair or not. The other thing that they're doing is obviously, you know, outside of Cadrill, basically, they're not giving people co-streaming, right? So there's no way for you to even compete if you wanted to. Right. Like there's no way for you to build your own audience. And even with Cadrill, you'll notice they haven't given him LCS co-streaming rights. Why is it that there are all these co-streamers for LCS and none of them are the actual casters? Why can't Captain Flowers on a day he's not broadcasting co-stream the LCS? Because they don't want to give these people these kind of opportunities. They have literally made a decision to lock, especially the LCS casters, into this arrangement with Riot. And there's no out for them. Like they are in a cage. And they're not giving them co-streaming rights. And they're not giving anybody co-streaming rights to the LCS. It's ridiculous. Like, I think that people like Azale or Captain Flowers should be able to co-stream on the days that they are not broadcasting. Because, obviously, if fans of the LCS still want to hear their content, why are they not being given that opportunity? I will just say, it's just right there, dangling in front of me. Gabby Durden did do a music video on what he called Ribcage, parentheses, Awakening. I'm just, just you know... <laughs> Just saying, it's right there. And it was all about the cage opening up of that song. Just, you know. Many ways foreshadowing. Well written script. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think the whole thing is just so malicious. For, anyway, I mean, the whole the whole caster the, ecosystem is just so yeah. malicious from Ryan. On the specific Gabby Durden thing, formerly known as Latigris, if people remember, I do think one reason why she had to go is mate. 
I didn't really notice that much improvement, at least in the areas no. that people didn't like it. And the problem with that is, this is pure speculation, but I don't think she's someone who didn't put in the effort. Like, here's one reason why I would say that. Do you remember about a year ago where she did like a really out of nowhere post on social media where it was basically like people keep, she said something like, people keep commenting on my weight, but I'm actually one of those people who sort of like eats when I feel like I've like in my emotions or something. Some some sort of weird comment like that, like she had for why she felt like she was overweight or people were putting, if you don't know, she actually like went fucking ham after that like working in the gym and like I was all yeah. jacked and stuff so like she obviously is someone who's willing to put in the hours the problem I think in her case was her like starting skill set just wasn't close enough to what people want from a caster and unfortunately I've had to tell a lot of people this in Counter-Strike me and no one wants to hear it because it's everyone's dream is there are so few people can do the job of being a caster it's such a limited group of people who are going to get that chance that like probably the number one quality you need isn't anything to do with competence it's being likable. The audience has to genuinely just enjoy listening. So unfortunately, in her particular case, I think even if she'd somehow leveled her skills, or even if there was some way to get it there, like the, the sort of ship had sailed on the narrative. Like people had sort of already decided they didn't like her. They didn't like anything about the way she was doing it. And everything she said would have been nitpicked anyway. So like, I actually do think, look, it may not in fact be her choice. Who knows? But I think this is actually the right move for everyone, mate. Like it's why yeah. I'd say to me, it's just sad. She couldn't just stay on the broadcast and be the interview person or be the fucking horse of the desk. I thought she actually was pretty good at that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we've talked about her strengths in the past and also the the fact that it has been unfair in the way that Riot has put her in situations and kind of set her up to fail because they didn't actually play to her strengths or allow her to focus on one thing. It felt like she was just being bounced around from task to task and never really given an opportunity to grow in in a specific role and to find her audience and to find her appeal because uh, you know, I straight up she's she's not a great caster and she has other strengths, and if she was allowed to pursue those things so, you know, fully and solely, I think that the audience would have reacted very differently to her. And to me, that's a disappointment. But at the same time, if you are in that position as talent, you have to be willing to fight for yourself and say, hey, look, I don't like the way that this is going with my job, and I, I don't feel like I'm the best person to do these things. And you have to be willing to play to your own strengths instead of just doing whatever they want to do, which may cause you to look bad in the end. Right. So it's tough. It's tough. Um, but I do think at least with, as it regards to the talent, like I'm just very cynical about what I've seen from riot this year. And I frankly ex expect there to be bigger mix-ups in this offseason, especially as they pursue potentially a new commissioner for the league or make some other changes. Um, I've generally been in favor of the way that they've handled the broadcast content so far and the kind of shift in tone, but I think it's very difficult to pull in new viewership and change the product completely if it's the same faces that we've seen for the last 10 years on the broadcast, right? I think it's very it's, hard to it's do a that. joke, right? Obviously, in about a year and a half, when he feels like it's safe enough and his focus group tells him it's okay, obviously, Captain Flowers will use this moment in a brilliant sort of like referential instance in the game where in the game, he'll be like, one minute the Drake was there, now it's gone. What was that? The Gabby Gerd and Drake? See, but only in about a year and a half, it's really <laughs> safe. And there's just nothing, you know, nothing could go wrong, you know, basically. <laughs> Hedging his bets, obviously. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, dude. Um, yeah, and I, I think this this goes into a conversation about the entire North American League of Legends scene, 
which I referred to this interview that Travis did with the new heads of the Americas region. By the way, one thing I did love about this interview, because essentially you have to understand the actual material, I mean, it's like 40 minutes. If there's ever an interview desperately needed it too long, didn't watch, it's this interview. Because it's just boring as fuck, and it is literally just corporate people just doing dancing around questions. Right? But the one thing I enjoyed, because obviously I know Travis and I have like a history with him, is I just enjoy that Travis can't help himself, Monty. He's one of those people who can't be anyone other than himself, right? Which is, as we always say, me and Richard, both his crime and his punishment, which is at the beginning of the interview, he even has the audacity to set up who the people are he's interviewing, but then it, it inserts sort of a veiled bitch that he didn't have who he clearly really wanted to interview, which was like, you know, the like head of esports or whatever or something like that. So, and then uh, oh, the NAS person, you know, the one that was going to be on that episode about the LCS walkout that got memory Yep. From the day. He clearly wanted those people, but didn't get them. So instead, these people were the only ones from right. Well, but then he also explains that like he's totally happy to be interviewing them too. It's like, who ever did an interview like this for? Who would ever do an interview like, hey, here I am at the LCS, I've got sticks right here. Obviously, wanted to talk to Double Lift. He's a much better and more famous player, but he isn't available. But still glad to have you here, Sticks here. Anyway, how are you doing? Like, you would never start the interview. So what I love is Travis can't help himself, boys. Like, even he knows everyone's watching this, like. Who the who the fuck are they? Like no one, nobody, even they, even their own family members might not recognize these guys here. Does anyone know who these two people are? I don't know who they are. Man. I've never so, seen these people ever. Uh, one of them was recently elevated from the Brazilian office to be head of League of Legends okay. for all of the Americas. So this was a okay. recent announcement that they made. Uh, so he, you know he's in charge of basically. Uh, LLA, CB, LOL, and LCS together. So the the LCS commissioner job, which is yeah. out there, uh, being hired for right now, would I assume this guy would be that person's boss, uh, basically. So they've added, they keep adding more layers between the commissioner and upper management because now there's like John Needham, who's the the CEO of Riot Esports, and then Nas, who's the head of League of Legends, and then they have regional heads of League of Legends. It's all getting very confusing. So the LCS commissioner, I think, is going to be like fourth or fifth, maybe fifth, maybe down on the totem pole uh, in terms of the corporate structure, which obviously means you have no power. I mean, I've said many times this job of the LCS commissioner is a poison chalice by its very nature. You have a doomed product in a viewership death spiral there's not really anything that you could do as commissioner in order to fix that problem and also the people who are above you have a vested interest in you not being successful because if you change things all of the people who made decisions previously about the uh, lcs former commissioners for example who have been promoted within the company look dumb because they made all of the bad decisions, such as trying to make it like a sports league, bad format decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't actually want you to, to make changes. It's where it's not in any way run like an actual business, Monty. It's like, oh, um, we need some real big changes here. Whoa, 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 whoa. People <laughs> in the past might look silly then. They're like, yeah. As though that would ever even be a consideration in a business. Like, you just don't want to make sense now for the business. Like, who cares about the past? What? Well, this is, this is what happens when nobody ever leaves the company and they just get promoted internally and uh yeah they still have control over the product so it, you know it's very telling by the way that they said at the end of this video that they are they are trying to change the commissioner's role uh 
uh, because I think the commissioner actually just had no power previously. That's what I think happened and, and really didn't have very much o- ownership over the entire league. Um, so I think maybe they're trying to address this, but it is, it is really, it, it is really hilarious how terrible the, the answers in this interview are. Um, it, some of my, my favorite highlights, uh, I think Travis actually did ask some tougher questions within this interview to his credit, including one, which is basically like LCS viewership is down significantly. What are you going to do in order to improve it? And this was my favorite answer, Thorne, because it either shows that they are just being willfully disingenuous or they just don't understand League of Legends or any esport at all. This okay. this answer, which, to be fair, is always the game with Riot. So it's like, <laughs> are you stupid or are you a liar? Which is it's usually the game. <laughs> it is a skill scenario. It's like, which one, which one tips more is the real, you know, the real question. So the, the, to paraphrase the answer, you'll love this. He says, well, we look at the LCK and the LCK has more viewership outside of Korea than inside of Korea. Okay, so there's more non-Korean viewership. Of course, it's big in China, obviously big in the West. So I would imagine that that is a true statement that even though the the Korean small country, so it's even a good one he's picked. The Korean viewership is very good, by the way, guys. Remember, Korea is a country around 50 million people. And sometimes like, you know, a million Korean people are watching the Korean broadcast. Okay, so it's like two percent of the country. It's crazy. It's crazy good viewership by percentage of population. Um, and so he says, so more people out non-Koreans are watching LCK. We want to get LCS to that place as a global product. That's it. So here's the thing, Monty, you know what he's just described there. (laughs) He's just described a literal cargo cult. (laughs) So what he's saying is this, Monty. Oh, here on this like tropical island that's fairly remote from uh, civilization, we'd like to be like the British Empire. So in lieu of having a shipbuilding facilities, we're going to use coconuts and make ourselves a HMS destroyer. So we'll set and work on it right now. And you know, when it's ready, then we'll sail to England and have an empire. What are you talking about? Like, like, what's mad about that, Monty, is he's really done the old meme that's like that notepad of like step one lck has enormous <laughs> exogenous viewership step two we want lcs to be like lck step three question mark question mark question mark step four all the viewers are watching the lcs now and then he looks like and then you go but what, no here's the genius travis goes but what is step three though that's a proprietary secret at this point. <laughs> no no here's the thing. Here's what the i did is he, travis... does he have any idea is there any mechanism how they're going to do it monty You'll love this. So Travis didn't ask what is step three, right? Of course. (laughs) But but it was it was just hilarious because I'm just sitting there and my jaw just hits the floor. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, you don't even understand your own audience. Um I mean, the weirdest people part is, by definition, the people who watch LCK are the most hardcore viewer of competitive League of Legends, whereas actually the people who watch LCS, by definition, are almost the most casual. Like, I, yes. I agree with him, Monty. He's not even understood, essentially, who these people are watch the game. Well, it's also, uh, you know, the LCK has had a specific kind of vibe and way of doing things from the OGN days, right? 
Um, it's had extreme continuity in the most famous player on earth and Faker, who has not only been part of the same team, he's been part of the, you know, he's been part of the league and the same team for the entirety of the last decade of his career. Right. And we've seen that T1 matches obviously draw the most viewership. They've been able to very successfully build a fan base around Faker and around the brand. And so it, it has become an international draw. People uh, became accustomed to watching Korean Le League of Legends. And even though LPL has on average had better teams over the last several years, the production value of LCK and kind of the feel of LCK has the brand of LCK has really drawn people in and, and get and has, you know, had them continue watching even when it's been very good, but perhaps not the best. Right. But the I also think they've nailed even the narrative. Like they didn't do it consciously, Monty, but the narratives for the LCK teams are way stronger than the LCS. Like LCS once upon a time had those brands, but people know from all the bitching about C TSM and CLG in the last few years, they don't have it. Like think about this, Monty. Like all the same narratives work, even if they're slightly crowbarred. Like T1 is just always the Yankees of the fucking LCK. It's yep. like, like they're always going to be like a powerhouse team, but if you don't like them, then you can slightly hit on them like Dom does as a whole drift there. They're not always going to win, but they should win. You have like fucking KTs always like, what are they like? The Boston Red Sox in this case. They're supposed <laughs> to be like the perennial rival, but they're never quite as good. And they've won the odd time. But if you're a fan of them, that's sort of, yeah, that's the like sort of outsider way to support a top team. Gen G basically is the replacement for like a Rocks Tigers or a Samsung in this right. point. They're kind of like the Dodgers in baseball, yeah. right? You've got these like really strong, distinct things even beyond just the players. And what's weird actually about Korean League of Legends, I've always thought this with the telecom wars is, it's almost like it is wrestling because even when the players are totally different, the narratives just somehow line up the same way. It's, it's actually kind of almost uncanny in Korea, isn't it? Yeah, and there are really great narratives in the LCK sure. because many of these players have been there for years and years and years. You have so many former world champions. Um, the viewership record was broken in this last in this last playoffs again oh really uh, and I, yeah okay yeah. uh so it was uh, not counting chinese streams but yeah they, was this they like the upper bracket match of kt and skt or something what was it i th i think it was yeah uh because i think the finals was two shorts uh yeah. i'll go i'll look that up i'm not sure but i know the i know they hit new viewership but it's like oh, nobody's okay. really tired of gen g versus oh, t1 because it just keeps it's been the fourth final in a row that we've seen of this. And some people complain about it, but at the same time, it's created quite a bit of viewership as these rivals duel each other at, at the top every time. So I look, I think that there's a lot of reasons why people watch the LCK and Riot will never acknowledge this, but part of that is the legacy of OGN. OGN created the, the way you do production around a final in particular. And this final was spectacular. I thought the production was extremely good on this final. I thought the hype video was really good, but it's the the flow of the broadcast is OGN's flow. They haven't deviated from that. They hired a lot of the OGN producers to work on LCK. It's mostly like, it's a lot, not mostly, it's a lot of the same people. Um, and so there's a there's a kind of feeling that you get, that I get, while looking at it still, where it's a sense of familiarity and really love for the way that things are done over there because they've successfully built a brand that I have a large and many other people have a large degree of affinity with. And that just hasn't happened within LCS. LCS's product was always garbage. It was always garbage. It was too much like traditional sports, and they got away with it because they had all of these compelling players and teams and people were really invested in the players and teams at the beginning. 
And so the the drag that was created on the show by having a product that really wasn't very good wasn't noticeable. But once the the popular players and teams kind of fade away and people no longer have those affinities and you don't have TSM being as popular or as good and you don't have Bjergsen and people carrying the league or the personalities like, you know, I'm a cutie pie and Skara and, you know, all the old OG people then you have to have a strong brand instead, which they've only started to build now. And I do give them credit for trying to shift the tone and the content of the league, which I think has been more successful. But it's it's probably too late, if we're being honest. Like, how do you pick up new viewers at this point in time? And there's so many problems, Thorin, with what they're saying, because it also doesn't help the teams. So... And it doesn't help the esports winter conditions, right? You, you first off, you just can't get a larger audience for LCS. Like LCS is not going to be in a position where people want to watch it. Like first off, you know, it's a time zone issue a lot of the time for Europe and Asia being able to watch all of the games. They said that they did want to introduce more languages, more language coverage for LCS. But unless they're going to find some major influencers who want to do co-streams, I, I think that's not really going to help. Because at the end of the day, if you if you want to watch good Western League of Legends, you're going to watch LEC. Also, LEC's product is still better than LCS's. So there's not even like LCS isn't kicking their ass from an entertainment perspective outside of the game. LEC still dominates that, in my opinion. So you get a worse product, worse League of Legends. And if you're a hardcore fan, you can watch LPL or LCK. And how are you going to get a large Asian audience to watch LCS, which is and large Asian audiences are what power viewership in China and Korea. So how are you going to get Chinese and Korean people to care about this league? What do they care about? They care about nothing. There's no draw. There is no draw. You could add all the influencers in the world. You could add Disguised Toast, Lud Ludwig. People in Korea and China don't even know who these people are. So it's it, there isn't a way to accomplish the goal of having exterior viewership. And Thorin, even if you did. So Arnold Herr came on the Monty and Wolf show and said that the Korean the, orgs. From Gen G, if people he's the CEO know. of Gen yeah. G. Said the Korean orgs not doing so hot financially right now, right? And this is the case that they have all of this exterior viewership. Now, I don't know about the Chinese uh, stream for LCK, but I can tell you right now that the global stream, the English stream, has zero sponsors for the English audience. So they can have all of the fucking viewership in the world, and most of it can be coming from outside of Korea. But if that's true, they're not really monetizing the majority of their audience. They're not selling sponsors, as far as I can tell. Like, why don't they have sponsors? Remember that more people watch the English LCK channel than the LCS. So surely they should be able to sell some level of sponsorship against that, right? Um, and that is, it's really confusing that that can't happen. Uh, yeah, and... It, you could, you could. If, if, I'll, I'll make that point even more emphatically, Monty. If people don't know, like, look, I'm sure for Koreans themselves, because all their connections are within Korea, they do an awesome job selling it in the Korean market. But if people don't know, the prime market to sell advertising in esports is fucking English language in America, UK, and maybe a little bit of Australia. That is like the number one easiest place to sell it. It's the reason why the Cloud Nines of this world kill it in the sponsorship game and always have these huge sponsors and a massive deck. So the way 
weirdest thing about that is it just shows that like even LCK essentially doesn't sort of care to figure out how to do this other thing that they need to do. Yeah, and, weird, and, it? and by the way, if you are if you are a team in the LCS, this is terrible news. I don't want to hear if I'm a team owner in the LCS that the plan is to get more non-American viewership for the reasons you stated. You want well, yeah. you want as much U.S. viewership as possible because it's the best to monetize. You know, the joke is, by the, by the logic of what Riot has done, incentives-wise, Monty, if I'm actually Jack from Cloud9, it makes almost no sense to try and do more for my team because you're not, like you say, the viewers you're adding aren't even from my sponsor's region. If anything, I should Terrible. just get my players and do a watch party for LCK and sell on that fucking stream. I could actually sell my <laughs> region and make yes. money off that. Like, that would actually make better incentives for us, it's crazy. Sven basically watch LCK when he's not doing L LCS. Yes, yeah, you should have your players coaster. That's actually a good point, and, which is insanity, right? But this yes. is the this is but why. Sam, but yeah, go on. this is why. Whatever. Uh, this what? is why. <laughs> they don't all need to be commented on. Keep going. <laughs> uh, this is why we complain about the misaligned incentives of. The, the publishers and the developers and an actual esports product that makes money. Because in their brains, this is where the mask slips, right? In their brains, the only thing they care about is absolute viewership, right? And that doesn't actually help, as far as I can tell, because they have done such a bad job of selling absolute viewership. Like, why can't they sell, for example, if the LCK is just crushing it, why can't they go to Coca-Cola Global or McDonald's Global and get global marketing budget for total coverage across all their leagues and all their regions? They should be able to do that. Um, or do it for all of their leagues at the same time. It's very strange that they haven't been able to create a global sale yet, right? They have stuff for international tournaments and leagues like they, you know, they had State Farm for LCS and Worlds last year, for example, or they have MasterCard for their international events. But it really has, and it's like some of their regional leagues, but it's very weird that they haven't been able to close a big deal with a major global partner, um, which would probably help alleviate some of these issues because you're trying to make a sale against multiple languages and multiple regions at once. Now, those deals are hard to do. I'm not saying that's easy. But given the fact that they've had, I don't know, a decade and are the biggest eSport in the world, you would think that that would have happened by now. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I think this is really problematic. And I think it is crazy that they are looking at LCK as a guiding light. Because, again, either they don't understand why the LCK is what it is in terms of viewership, or they're dumb. And that's really, that's really, because you're never just, you're never going to turn it into LCK. But also, as I said, turning it LC into LCK doesn't solve the problems because you haven't solved those is, problems with LCK. You've actually nailed this. Like, essentially, Travis could have invalidated the entire interview by just asking one question and demanding an actual answer to it. And the question goes, what possible reason would someone not from, L from the LCS region have to watch the LCS? I guarantee you there's no answer they can give. There's nothing. They, 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 they would have to unironically say something like they are a fan of TSM. Like, what, what else is there? Like, because it can't be the players better, the broadcast is more entertaining. Like, you know, the hours are good. There's no, there, as you say, Monty, there is actually no reason that this hypothetical viewer will tune in. 
Like, but, the, like, especially if you actually really do want it to be Koreans and Chinese people. Because as I've always said, my angle's the only chance you had for that, which is a long time ago. Some of them did, for entertainment reasons, care about a double lift or something like that. Or maybe when G2 won MSI, they might have cared about G2 or something. But that was like a very brief window. And that was based around certain enormous star figures. Like, beyond that, no one was at, like, mate, they, if, if fans don't know... Those players used to lie in season four, guys. They didn't really watch the LCS. Like, I've done those interviews literally with the dandies and the matters of the world, where when you turn the camera off and then you ask your translator, ask him, did he really watch LCS? They just say no, or they say, you know, I watched the odd game every now and then, or I saw Doublelift do a highlight or something. Like, no, nobody was watching the Western League of Legends ever. That was always a myth to me. It's why the real reason they went on and on and on in every interview about Bjergsen and Reckless is because they just always got to a attend the international events. That's how they knew them. They weren't watching Reckless play LEC, guys. No one was. Come on. They they literally didn't even know any of the other players. No, of course not. Of, like, I, just in my conversations with Korean players, they, the, 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 the response was literal who for a lot of the time. And the reason why they said Bjergsen was because he was the only player that they knew. Yes. <laughs> That's how it is, guys. Like, they spent zero time watching LCS. Um, sometimes they watch LEC because obviously G2 was quite good for a while. Um, what kills I, me though, bro, is the, the answer is obvious to me though, which is if I can't change anything else about like what makes the broadcast, the number one thing I would change is the format, man. It's the immediate thing I'd start doing. Like my question would be, is there a way to make like a circuit or some kind of different approach? Like, do I need a different type of a competition? Do I need to make it just a bunch of short fun tournaments? Does it have to be one luck? I would look at that angle personally. I think that's the the best way to reinvent it. Yeah. Uh, I think they will change the format. Again, I've said this a lot on this show, but the only reason they didn't change the format this year was because they promised the owners that they wouldn't do it until next year. Even though I think many of the owners would have rather had the LEC format this year. And I think they will be making pretty big adjustments to the format next year. That's every, everything I've heard says that they will do that. And also here's another one for you, Monty. Like, obviously, I get the vibe because of how the Chinese and Korean systems are set up. You aren't ever going to get a Super League like you wanted. But why can't no. you have a Western Super League is my question. Yes. Yeah. That would be I, awesome. It's, I mean, to me, by the way, I'm not even going to make it just Western Super League. I would make it all the Western shit. Like, I would make the best two best CB LOL teams, plus, yeah. I don't know, the best team from the LAN arena, plus... The uh, like uh, like the fucking I don't know top four a year LEC teams plus the best files yes whatever the scenario and then I would make a circuit and I'd have a bunch of different competitions I think that would that immediately would make it more interesting to me I think uh, what I've heard from some of the team owners is that they would like a combination like the LEC and the LCS to merge. Uh, into one larger because, league. Because the level's at least close enough. You can have fun with that. Like, the CB LOL team every now and then is going to upset like a top LEC team. That'd be awesome. Think of the trash talking, the rivalry. I think this oh, yeah. this is the way you bring it back, in my opinion. Yeah, right and you could, you could kind of swap teams. Like, half the LEC teams could come to LCS, like LA. Half of the LCS teams could go to Berlin. You, yeah, play, you play each other there for half a split, and then you kind of, like, change places. So you spend half the time at home, half the time away. That way you're not, you know, traveling every week with jet lag. There's lots of ways logistically. Remember, the good thing about European League of Legends is because you've got all those sturdy ERLs, people are going to be able to watch something anywhere. Like, if you're a French fan, it doesn't matter if, like, Vitality goes to LCS. You just watch the LFL still, plus whatever games you watch of L uh, Vitality in the LCS. Like, I, I think Europe is even the one that could survive sending these teams, mate. Oh, yeah. I don't think it'd be an issue. I think it'd be good for LEC viewership as well because it would and be a hype new product. 
anything you can do that brings in the Brazilian viewership, that's just an instant win for everyone. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and I do think that having all Brazilian rosters in LCS would be extremely good. As I've said many times, like, I, Immortal Zones MIBR. Let them use the MIBR rebrand to MIBR. They own it. Then allow them to just run a Brazilian roster. You will see Immortals be useful in terms of league viewership and and hype and competitiveness rise immediately. That is a very quick fix, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I think there are, there are many things you could do, but I think it is crazy to say that, well, if we start doing, they mentioned, you know, we, we wanted the, the Spanish LCS language, Spanish broadcast has been successful. I have no idea if that's true. They said they wanted to add Portuguese oh. and other languages to LCS. But again, it just kind of misses the point, because if you're a Portuguese speaking Brazilian person, you probably just care about CB lol because again, you're not watching LCS because it has Brazilian people in it that, or, and you want to cheer for your countrymen. Uh, it, it, it's not more competitive. Like if you want competitive league of legends, you just go to Asian league of legends. And if you want to cheer for people from your country, you'll just go to your country's league, whether that's LFL or CB lol. So I don't understand why adding languages is going to help LCS's viewership get out of this spiral. And even if it did, it doesn't help the monetization problems of the teams. It just helps Riot have more reach for marketing, right? So it's very confusing because it's not like when Riot goes to sponsors, the sponsors say, give us the geolocation breakdown of your viewership. And then they do. And they will see what percentage of that audience is American and spend accordingly, right? What they need to do is pump the American audience. And they did touch on it a little bit by saying that they think that they're trying to reach people who formerly watched the LCS because obviously there are a lot of those people because it used to have 400,000 concurrent viewers for regular season matches. They're trying to reach those people and try and bring them back into the fold. But honestly, the problem with League of Legends as an esport is because it changes so drastically every year. If you don't keep playing and you've been out of the game for three or four years, it's it's basically an entirely new game, and there's new champions, new items. It's very difficult to understand. And if people have just aged out and they haven't been replaced by younger players or new players to the game, which they haven't because of their failures within the, the high school circuit in particular, which we've blamed on a lot of which we've blamed on like play versus in the past, you know, young people in America just aren't playing League of Legends. It's not like it is in Korea where... People, new new blood comes into the game all the time. And that's a systemic failure on Riot's part in this region that can't really be undone. So I don't know how you bring in these people who maybe have, just don't play the game anymore. It's, it's a very weird problem. And I just don't think it's a solvable one. And their ideas about the solution, even to say the things that they said, I think is ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. The problem, I think, is this. You've got two, like, quite unique issues here. So one is this isn't even something that was always the case, but as is a general rule being the case, the product is just shit. The actual games in LCS are not good games of League of Legends. Nope. You know when people do that stupid thing they always did, Monty, but they were like, it's just because you have a bias. No, no, you cannot gaslight me. I have watched 10 years of this shit. The LCK, it's worse now, guys. The gap has only gotten bigger. Like, the gap now might be like, LCK might be 15 times better to watch than the LCS. And the LCS 
LCS is, is LCK isn't even as good as the LPL, by the way. But it's way better. It's so significantly better. And then the second problem you have is, in my opinion, the most unique problem in esports history, which is the main region of the company Riot Games is America. But America, only by their bullshit system, is even the fourth best region, Monty. If you actually had to rank the teams in the entire world of League of Legends, one to X, like the LCS teams would be like number 100 on the list. Like, it's actually absurd how bad they are. And then we're asking for real. Like, this is... The only comparison I can even give here, Monty, is insane walk shit. And the reason I say insane is stuff where, like, the premise doesn't make sense. So, you know, when someone comes to you and goes, how do we get women's tennis to make as much as the men's? It's like, I can't even process the premise. Like, holy shit. <laughs> to even unpack that is, like, blowing my mind because you've you've made, like, 10 assumptions in the right. question that no one's ever been able to establish. Like, like, what you're asking me there is for real to just create a miracle alternate reality. Like, so in the same scenario, what I would do is, again, this is why, by the way, Riot doesn't do real interviews. Because in a real interview, some real motherfucker like me or Richard Lewis rocks up and goes, but how would the region that has the 100th best team in ever be comparable to the best region? And you'd even say, to even give them a lifeline, just to take it away from them again, you'd go... Do you know any sports examples of when this is They wouldn't have anything, by the way, guys. They wouldn't have... That's why, when we did that Four Horsemen episode, people like Philip Aram, like, loosely would touch on things like European soccer and the English Premier League, but they never had any, like, concrete example, you know, like, oh, and look, this team here did this, like... Because that's the problem. There's no past precedent of this. Like I said, I can't think of an example like this, Monty. When was there ever an eSport where the main region were all obsessed with making have viewership is one that has all the shit teams in? Like, what? Like, bro, could you imagine in Counter-Strike if we had to endlessly figure out but how do we get people to watch Counter-Strike in Southeast Asia like who gives a shit just don't <laughs> just watch European and you fucking idiot like so basically what you're saying is instead of why don't we all watch the really good shit you're going how do we mind fuck people to only care about the bad shit like not only do I not know, I almost don't want to know. This is like some Lovecraftian shit. Like, I feel like to know what you want me to know would destroy my whole reality. Like, I can't handle this. Do I, do I have to like buckle in to do these episodes? Like, right, come on, let's heads together. Let's figure out how to make LCS good again. I yeah, don't I, I, look, I've said, it, I've said it. I've said a million times. LCS better by pressing the X in the right hand corner of the screen. Exactly. That's what I do, mate. <laughs> well, that's where everybody is, right? And and, well, and you're trying to figure out how to not press the X button, but and this is why the commissioner job is just so terrible for the LCS. And it's going to be some sucker who takes this position because there's no fixing the problem. And, and especially because they won't even go back to do And You know, part of this interview too was equally hilarious because Travis does, I think grill them a lot about the shift to weekdays and the timing issues that happen within the league. And the questions were, you know, are you thinking about switching back to weekends? No, because VCT is there, of course, now, because they put VCT there. Uh, and so they're still, they're still treating us like, like Monty. It was bad enough when we were supposed to watch a whole day of shit be your ones. You're now supposed to also consume a whole separate esport simultaneously. This, the, these, the worst thing about Riot will always be this, Monty, and you know this, but other people don't get this. They don't just paint themselves into a corner, Monty. They will actively say, here we are, painting ourselves into a corner, and then everyone who knows something will go, whoa, 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 if you keep doing that, you're going to be painted into a corner at some point. You'll have no choice left to do the thing that no one wants. Yes, but now I'm in the corner, though, so what can I do? I guess I'll just have to do that thing no one wants. If people don't know this is going on right now in Valorant, where they've basically done the same thing, it's like they've set themselves up into trouble, and then they're like, well, now that there's nothing left to do, we'll just make a bad decision. 
decision. Like, what have you noticed how Riot never actually ad addressed their assumptions, mate? They never unpack their initial assumption. Like, the first assumption there that they are putting forwards, Monty, when they say that, is that it's totally logical that a fan of the LCS also watches VCT Americas in Valorant. I don't <laughs> see the connection myself. I don't even see the connection if they made the game, mate. It's like, what would they connect? So what? So what? How it? It, why would Riot Games be involved? I mean, I watch Valorant as well now. Like, I, I feel like you're just making extra problems for yourselves, guys. Just figure out the league part. Don't worry about Valorant. Let, in fact, if anything, let Valorant be its own thing. It seems like it's doing well. Yeah, and and by the way, let's talk about how well it's doing compared to LCS. So VCT America's League 2023 uh, did third almost 36 million viewed hours this year. Peak viewers of 550,000. Average viewers of over 200,000, 205,000. By the way, just before people get lost, that's because VCT Americas is what we're talking about with like bringing Brazil. It's all of the Americas. Yes. And the best team in the world at the time was Loud from Brazil, who actually yes. is in this competition. So it's a very different scenario just before people think this is the same as a one-to-one -one of LCS. It's very different from LCS in that regard. But but uh, the point is, which, which of these leagues do you put in the better time slot on weekends right i'm just making a point so the viewership of this for vct this year so they did 174 hours of broadcast now lcs summer did 154 so 20 fewer hours of broadcast time right keep that in mind so 35 million almost 36 million hours watched vct americas 12 million lcs so one third of the total viewership average viewers of lcs summer 76,000. Average viewers of VCT Americas, 205,000. Peak viewers, VCT, 554. Peak viewers, LCS, 223. So you pick your metric. It is between two and three times bigger to do VCT Americas. Now, By the these way, numbers... I'll just there. That's also why the LCS walkout was so fucking stupid. Because you guys get paid like 10 times more than the, re than the game that's making a three times more viewership, you idiots. You <laughs> idiot players. Like, by the way, you do know, I knew this sadly. It was always, listen, because of the esports winter, you were already going to get, like, downsized anyway. But the second you did that walkout, you guaranteed you would make way less money in your career. The second you did it. Because what you actually did was throw a bucket of water in your owner's face and go, shit, what am I doing, actually? This is a fucking waste of everyone's time. And they're all out now, mate. They're all, they're all headed for the hills now. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I mean... It was clearly a decision and the right decision. By the way, all these numbers include co-streaming numbers because that gets brought up every time. Of course. Yes. When we talk about numbers, I need people to understand this. Co-streaming numbers are always included these days, guys. Always in included in viewership. So when, when we look at these numbers, it makes sense that Riot made the decision. Why would they roll it back? They can't do two broadcasts in the same studio on, a, on the weekend, right? And they are unwilling to move the, the LCS outside of Los Angeles to a different studio or even in a different studio within Los Angeles to do it at the same time. So in the interview, they deflect a bunch of questions about the viewership. Now, we can ask what happened to the viewership in, once they moved it now, was it because they moved it to weekdays? Uh, was it because of the strike, uh, making it so people didn't know when the league started? Was it that there were three days of broadcast? It was a super week every week and a truncated season in terms of time, not in terms of days. They still did the same number of days because they have the same format. They just had to do it in a smaller time period, right? Uh, this is all to say that year over year, so from LCS Summer 2022 to LCS Summer 2023, viewership was down 40%. 40% year over year. 
Now, is that because there's declining interest in the LCS? Is that because of the day switch? We don't know. Even if you compare it from spring to summer, so from spring this year to summer this year, there was a 17% decrease in viewership. So it is going down significantly. And how do you sell sponsors if you say, well, you know, this year we had 40% fewer viewers than last year. That is a fucking massive decline in viewership. Massive. And I don't know if that's the, the weekday thing, but remember that they said they had all the data that this was going to be a better time slot. So I admit there's a possibility that they are correct, and this could have been even worse if it was still on weekends. I don't think that's true, but I don't know. I can't know that for sure. But you know something that's that's really funny, and I was thinking about this while, while having this interview, while listening to this interview, because the whole thing is Riot always says, well, the data says this, and the data says this. You know, the data says we have all these old LCS fans uh, who we think we can, like, rope back into the fold. And, you know, the data says perhaps we can get a bunch of foreign language viewers, viewers for the LCS, because look how many viewers exist for LCK who are not Korean speakers, right? So I was reading this book by a guy named Rory Sutherland. And Rory Sutherland is the vice chairman of Ogilvy, which is a massive, one of the most prestigious marketing firms in the world, okay? And he wrote this book called Alchemy, which is very interesting about basically how marketing works and how a lot of times it is counterintuitive. And people, don't, it's been very well proven via studies that people don't really know what they want. They say they want things, but they don't actually want those things. And so you have to do, be subversive um, or kind of have this magic, which is why the book is called Alchemy in order to make gold. And one of the very salient points that he makes in this book is that everyone these days, because we live in a kind of tech science-driven society, Everybody wants to look at the data and the data can be interpreted obviously in a variety of different ways. But here's the point that he makes is that the data, if you follow the data, it never gets you fired, Thorin, because it's as if you were following some sort of objective truth in reality. And even if you misinterpret it, it is the safe move to make always if you want to hang on to your job. Because doing things against the data, even if they would result in a highly creative product that would then catch fire within the world, right? Because a lot of time to be innovative, there cannot be data around what you are doing <laughs> um, to break out. And so what I find so hilarious about Riot is they said, oh, the data says that there's going to be more viewership here. Now, that person who made that decision is not going to be fired for a 40% drop in viewership year over year because they have the data backing them up, even though we can now look at that and say, almost certainly that was a failure, right? And so the crazy thing is that what situations like this need is somebody who is willing to take extreme risks. Because there isn't going to be fixing the LCS's viewership problem by doing what they have been doing or by following the data. Because every data-driven decision they have made has led them to dig the hole deeper. And what I just really enjoyed that about this book, because even if a big swing is a failure, that's when you get fired. Even, like That is the, the risk of getting fired from not following the data and trying to make a big swing. Whereas 
he makes an argument that you should actually reward these people because a lot of times they are trying to do something that is truly innovative, whereas the people who follow the data won't get fired and actually create stagnation among products and companies. And I think that's 100% applicable here. And, you know, a lot at the end of the day, nobody wants to be responsible for perhaps fucking up the LCS even further by trying to make it something really interesting. Um, but I think that's the only way to kind of dig it out of the position it's in right now, because continuing to do the same thing is not going to work. And they have intentionally put it in a worse time slot to accommodate VCT. Like I said, the main problem you have is it's just a fundamentally bad product. Like if you have a bad product, Monty, the only marketing left is hoodwinking people. It's tricking them into thinking they want your bad product. If you have a really good product like LCK, like the LPL, it's relatively easy to market that and to set it up and make it succeed. Essentially, you just get out your own way and people are going to come to it. So I don't think there's, there's, there is no solution to this, mate. It's just spinning your wheels. Like, as far as I can tell, all they really do is just keep rearranging chairs on the de deck, chairs on the Titanic. It's like, this time, let's put them on the upper deck, though. Oh, but I, actually, someone said on the lower deck, you get more view of, like, the ice. Well, go on there. Let's go score down there. And they just keep the doing data, that. So, the oh, data says... My job. Oh, can I get paid still? Good. Awesome. The data says if we move them over to the starboard side that the Titanic will sink 3% less slowly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> this, this is what these people are doing. And it's, I don't understand what happens within the riot offices because it is so obvious to anyone outside of the, the riot bubble. And there is a riot exists in its own alternate reality because they've created a company culture where people who, uh, are divisive internally. They just fire them or get rid of them or memory hole them a lot of the time. Um, and so it's it's really tricky because the cult of Riot makes, you know, calling people out or trying to fix things or saying something is wrong very, very difficult. And so I guess we're just going to continue to march down this crazy so path with the LCS. The real problem is... It's like the old refrain we always say, Chinatown-style Monty at the end of every problem in League of Legends in North America. It's systemic, bro. <laughs> it's systemic. That's it. The it's data systemic. said the viewership would increase yeah. on weekdays. Because yeah. the only thing about that was that it was either going to be, it was, it was either just a cover story for wanting to put VCT, the better performing product, in the better time slots, and they just lied to you, uh, or they actually believed this in some way, even though they had, even though I guess technically more people might be available during these time zones, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be using their time to watch LCS, right? So I think it's, I think it's crazy. I think this interview is crazy. And of course, my favorite thing is Travis asked directly, have they had internal conversations about moving the LCS outside of Los Angeles? He just said categorically, no, which is a lie. By the way, that is just a lie because <laughs> I know they've happened. And I said on Power Spike when I when I talked about this, I don't know what their plans are for this, but I do know the conversations have occurred. And by the way, of course, yeah, they've I know how they do that lie, Monty. As a journalist, I'll tell you how they justify in their mind that lie. Because even though that was just like essentially, have you thought about it? Is the real question. Yeah. What they'll do is they'll be like, well, we've never actually had a meeting where we sat down and it said the agenda of this meeting is to move to. Yes, exactly. Because by the way, this is what team org owners do all day long. They'll be like, I was never going to sign that player. Meanwhile, like I know the two players, and it was like, yeah, oh yeah, let's play together the next season, and that's. Like they just never got the contract done or something, you know, but there's, right. there's so many ways you can like sidestep yes. that if you want to get around. And, and, and obviously, like you guys should know that this conversation occurred just intuitively. 
if your league is declining in revenue and declining in viewership and you're trying to cut costs, of course, of course it comes up that you might move this thing to a place where it'd be cheaper to operate. And maybe you look at that costs on a high level and you say, that's ah, not worth it. Or Riot says, well, we already own this studio. We have these people working on the production. It's too much of a hassle for us to change it, right? But to say that those conversations haven't occurred is clearly, like, if they have not occurred, I mean, you're a moron if that's it occurs. You're like, a moron. You're, you're like, nice. I don't know what to say. You're just a fucking idiot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should admit it's happened just so you sound like you actually thought through all the possibilities, right? You yes. sound like an incompetent otherwise. So I was really shocked uh, to hear that because obviously, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm telling you those, those conversations did occur. Um, and they may not have gotten very far with them, but it has been a point that has been brought up internally with Riot. And of course it has been, guys. Of course, like logically, anybody would have brought up that conversation. Anybody would have looked into that at least on a on a on a high level. Um, but I, I just don't understand what's going on. Like it sounded just complete this interview just sounded completely insane to me. Um, I don't know why they even bother doing these interviews if these are their plans or they're going to give such incredibly terrible responses to these questions. Um, oh, by the way, I'll just say this. Even though I said earlier that they don't do interviews with people like me and Richard, that's just something that has existed for like 10 years if people don't know. If if it was going to be an interview like this, Monty, I also wouldn't waste my time doing the interview. Like, I wouldn't post something like that on the internet. Like, all they do is... To, here's the thing. They don't even have the good, like, fucking decency to just tell you, like, I won't be commenting on that topic. They'll just still waste 10 minutes of your time dancing around, not answering the question. Like, I find those sorts of interviews really obnoxious, mate. Yeah. It's an obnoxious interview. What can you say? <laughs> but also, I'm glad they did it because the, the answers were just hilarious. They you're were the just problem I have as incredibly well as terrible. Here's how you know it's not a good interview. Because unless you did hire some like straight fire commissioner, say you have some like Dana White character or whatever. True, sometimes they get off on the challenge of, you know, it's a tricky interview and they like trying to like sort of dance with you, etc. But these guys are loving it. Like these guys, while they do this interview, are like on some fucking South Park shit, like huffing their own farts from a tank, like can you believe we're just getting, so we're just telling them anything and they have to believe it. <laughs> anyway, fuck it, I'm going to tell them next we didn't even talk about moving the studio. Yeah, of course we haven't even discussed where, where we're going to move it to. Like, this is just garbage, mate. What is this? Just absolute trash. When <laughs> Travis is two steps ahead of you, maybe rethink your strategy. <laughs> I also, you'll love this. I looked up the, so there are new laws in California, Thorin, that require you to disclose salary ranges for jobs that are posted. Okay. So they posted the LCS commissioner job. Come on, hit me and, in the range. 140 to 240, which is hilariously I thought it would be. <laughs> I, I think it's way too low for the kind of person they want because they say that a JD is preferred. So they want a lawyer. And so why would a lawyer who could make way a good lawyer can make way more money than that? Yeah, but they're gonna get an esports lawyer bit. So that's gonna be right on the mark for them. <laughs> and if anything, they're just gonna the worst thing about these jobs, by the way, is you're just gonna get some like fucking grifter who wants it on his resume. He's not really doing it because he cares about this job. There's not going to be somebody who's like, I well, really care about being the commissioner. They just want that on the resume, don't they? The problem is, is that to get somebody good, it's going to cost a lot more money because people who understand this space know what a shit job that is. And how it, you know. What about it's a brilliant job. Jackie Felling never appeared on camera ever. Never did an interview ever. Just surfed Reddit all day. Like, actually sounds like she has the perfect American office job. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think uh, I think that is a I think it's really tough uh, to find somebody who would take the 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 burden of that job because anybody who knows esports is going to look at that job and say, 
Holy shit. I'm I'm I might just I be a scapegoat. Get, I know who we should do. I know who we need to get. There's only one person who was both primed with their career for this job, but also would kill it and bring a fresh new level of eyeballs into the it's oh obviously Nicole LaPointe Jameson. This is her career pivot. <laughs> bring and then here's the thing. I wanted to bring that whole swagger she brought to EG. Like, whoa, it's the LCS now and it's the queendom. So all you LCK and LPL, you're going to be so salty. After oh, man, I, I wanted to bring the whole obnoxious shit she brought to EG. Just bring that to the LCS. I want her to be the face of the LCS. I hope that when I type hash LCS on Twitter, it doesn't do the symbol of the LCS. It's just her face. I just want it to be her face right there. And also, the other reason, just as an aside, is I'm quite petty. So I think it would just be really funny that Travis has to keep interviewing his ex-girlfriend over and over again. Like, well, this isn't awkward at all, is it? Well, you know, keeping all the family, I guess. All right, double lift with there, mate. I'm doing a different interview with the mad conflict of interest now, right? Come on, then. Come on in, love. <laughs> That's still mental to me that you actually did, but whatever. It's well, whatever. <laughs> it's by the by at this point. It's not sadly, it's not even top ten crazy things in LCS. Is it? So it's like who gives a shit at this point in time? <laughs> by the way, though, yeah, I will say it. I don't know if you noticed this, Monty. In light of we talked on the past about that thing going on in Valorant where Sentinels had to admit that they're like losing money out the arse. Right. And obviously it turns out Lena is the chief revenue officer. Yep. It's better. Because did you see in that breakdown where it showed how much she makes? She makes like 200 grand plus something like 2.5% commission on all like the revenue of like deals she does. So the joke is, guys, I hope you understand what that means. She is literally incentivized to do her job really well and for them to not be in this position but she is not doing a good enough job. Like, that's what I actually love is, you know, back in the day, like, I don't actually know 100% Monty within TSM. What does president do? I'm not entirely sure if that's like, is it just sort of like a titular role and you're mainly there to just be the face? Are you making decisions like I can see your would? I don't know. It's hard to know. But what I love about this generation is the titles are almost some perverse Swiftian joke. Like, of course, <laughs> the person who's the CEO of EG is the moron who doesn't know anything about being a leader. Of course, the person who's the director of performance is then bragging about the worst performance ever. Of course, someone who was the chief revenue officer has all the revenue get fucked up and the company almost dead and then goes, it's not my fault, is it? It's like, it is by definition literally only your fault. By Like if this was some sort of like a fucking like, you know, court martial, you would 100% be being stripped of all your honors and kicked out of the village, you know, like. Yes, where is the revenue? Where is the revenue? <laughs> I, I, to be fair, I mean, the revenue issue is ever present right now in esports. That scene from The Dark Knight where the Joker's being interrogated by Batman, but then it's just like me, and then Lena's the Joker and I'm just like, where is the revenue? Where is it? Is it? Like, <laughs> the, deck, the deck is very much stacked against you at this point in time, but still, the best people are going to find ways in order to it's true. That is what I always say whenever Lena's in an org. Well, now the deck's stacked against you as well. But enough about how incompetent she is at her job. People don't know. They call it a deck when you make the market and thing to sell. But yeah, you get it. Whatever. That's good. funny. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, it's literally stacked against you now, man. Yeah, and, and we're seeing this in other ways. I mean, there was just a lot of news that dropped in the last couple of days. And one of the other ones is about the LEC. So... All right, here we go. Here we go. Again, another place where only this show can really talk about this or Four Horsemen. But according to uh, there's there's some there's some rumors that have come out and infinite reality. So infinite reality is Great a name, company, by the way. brilliant name, by the way, for esports. 
I love it already. Go on. Uh, and also, you'll love this. Infinite Reality is like a Web3 company, oh, apparently. Of course. Even better. Because the, the real joke, obviously, being there's not enough reality in esports, but they're just including infinite reality. Go on. Get <laughs> me with what this company's doing. So the, the, they're on Patreon. Eros, uh, so Esports Maniacos, um, made this announcement, and they, they did translate it into English. So I'm going to read it. According to sources close to Esports Maniacos, uh, Koi would be allegedly in a critical situation financially accumulating defaults in several areas throughout the year. On October 6th, 2022, we officially knew the merger of Infinite Reality Incorporated, Rex Global, which is the company that used to own Rogue, and Koi yes. under the name of Koi. After almost one year of this merger, the situation in the club has reached a critical point. Infinite Reality is allegedly dragging problems of non-payment to the company's employees, as well as to the club's content creators and the club's own players. In addition to these problems, Infinite Reality is also allegedly having problems with the LEC license payments to Riot Games. These are the franchise payments, by the way. Uh, which could jeopardize Koi's license in the top European League of Legends competition. Now... This is the same shit that I've talked about previously, which is that at least in the LCS, these payments have been suspended for a couple of years with interest, of course. Um, I'm not sure about it's the situation. Watch League playbook if people know that. Like when yeah. you get into trouble, because the main problem you have to understand is, might much like the Overwatch thing, the worst thing that can ever happen is that the orgs publicly leave and sue you. So or, no matter or go that, bankrupt. You, you're always going to do this approach. First things first, you say maybe you just don't have to pay as much, or you don't have to pay now, and then eventually, if it goes really bad, you do what I will do. You go. In fact, we'll pay you to leave, but please don't say anything bad. Yes. So this yeah. is not a good sign for the health of the league. By the way, <laughs> like they've they've paused the payments. Right. And um, uh, it says it, it, they've been having problems. I don't know if they've paused it in LEC or not. So, but they could, and it's not unreasonable. If you think of what's gone on yeah. the last few years, yeah, it's not unreasonable. To think LEC could do this, or th there could be a situation that would worked out here. So that's actually not my biggest concern about this. So it says, due to the fi bad financial situation of the club, Ibai himself would have put from his own pocket a figure close to 3 million euros to try to alleviate the non-payments of the club, paying in full the salaries of some players slash content creators, as well as the gaming house of the Superliga team. By the way, oh. just as an aside, holy fuck, what people won't get about that, Monty, is that's how, I guarantee you, that means this Ibai guy is on a totally different level even to, like, the core streamers we know, like LS and Doc. Oh, of course, he is. If he's putting three mil of his own money, that makes me think he makes, like, $50 million a year, guys. Like, he, he does. It'd have to be something insane like that for that to be, like, he, viable. He, he literally had a stream that had three million concurrent viewers. I mean, he's one of the biggest streamers, if not the biggest streamer in the world right now. In all the um, <laughs> I'll always do it, mate. I'll always just be me. Don't worry about it. Listen, it's something I'll never get worried about. It's like, oh, you've said reality and the truth. Well, maybe reality needs to change, then you fucks. You know, all this has led to a very big concern in the environment of Koi to see the project is lacking economic solvency and is generating a very large instability in the club to the point of considering the continuity of the project as such. Now, that is a this is a very like word salad uh, translated post, but we'll try and make the best sense of it as we could. Um, so anyway, um, this is, this situation is obviously troubling. So let's talk about for people who don't get it, what happened with infinite reality and this merger, uh, with wrecked global. So wrecked global created rogue. They owned the cod team, the London Royal Ravens as well. And they sold, you'll love this Thorin. They sold Rogue and Royal Ravens at a valuation of 400 
$170 million to Infinite Reality. Okay. By the way, the reason that's actually insane is, if you know, one of the things that normally pisses me off about those valuations is no fucker ever sells. So fair play, at least that one actually was sold and someone for real paid that money. Fair play. Wait. It wasn't actually a sale. It was an equity swap. There you go. There you ah, go damn then. it. Damn it. So close. So close. <laughs> because, because I was wondering when I saw that, when I saw that news, Thorin, I, I looked at it and I said, how could they afford? Because allegedly Infinite Reality is a $2 billion company. I said to myself, how could they afford to pay $470 million and not have $3 million? So, of course, Thorin, you know what I found out? I dug, I just dug into some of these articles and I found out that they were bought in stock. So, Rect Global no, no money was, ever changed paid, business, was yeah. paid for, for the equivalent of $470 million of infinite reality stock. Something happened. I don't have the exact details, but it, it doesn't seem like cash actually changed yes. hands, which then obviously results in how we could get to a place where they were negative $3 million because maybe they just never even had money in the first yes. place, right? So uh, what was Ibai's deal? So as far as I can tell, this was a branding deal. So Ibai was bringing Koi, the Koi brand, his own co-stream for LEC that he runs, his audience, right? And probably in return for that, he got a... He got equity within infinite reality, right? So they're using his brand. They it's basically the thing that people don't know. There's another famous example, which was Guild Esports, one I actually did consulting with a few years ago, where everyone will tell you, Monty, to this day, because the marketing worked, oh, you mean David Beckham's org? And it's like, no, no, David Beckham did a deal with them where part of his sponsorship money was then like to take it as stock, and then they say he is the owner. But they make it sound like he made the org, and it's like his branch right. which... I mean, let's be real. That's why, as far as all people think about Koi, right? So it yeah, sounds like so a the, scenario. The Koi brand, as far as I'm aware, belongs to Ebay. And so okay. he is in a strategic partnership with Infinite Reality to give the Koi brand his, you know, his stream, his brand over so that, you know, they can. It's like it's like what happened in um, in Call of Duty League with Atlanta phase. Like phase is is in a is in a brand arrangement with the owners of the Atlanta phase COD team. It's not that phase actually owns that, right? right. It's a, or like uh, what NIP is doing with V5 in, uh, in LPL, right? Um, it, Which it's, by the way, I'll just throw this out there since it's an appropriate moment. Did you know, cause this is this to do with NIP in, in, in theory, in all games, it's not CSGO related. But if people don't know, Richard Lewis published a story recently that you've got to go look at. It's mental. Basically, because they're now involved with the LPL in China, China's perspective, I could almost laugh myself to sleep, but this is a premise, is we don't really want the league to be political, which just means we're the ones doing the fucked up political shit. Please don't mention that. And so because <laughs> of that, NIP was told privately behind the scenes, and Richard has all the like internal documents, Basically, all remove, the Slack chats. remove everything from your Twitter that ever supported Ukraine in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Like, because obviously people will know the country of China does a lot of business with Russia, and it's part of that BRICS association, which is like their version of NATO, sort of. So, like, even though that means absolutely NIP has gone out of their way to scrub from history, like some fucking Room 101, 1984 shit. That, like, what do you mean? We never supported Ukraine. Like, that's just like the world we live in now, guys. The reason I bring that up is because I'm so sick of that whack narrative, people 
people are trying to sell now to be a sellout of like, well, maybe if we agree to work with China and Saudi Arabia, they'll like move closer to our cultural positions. Like, no, dickhead. The one with the money always sets the terms. And as has been proven in every case, you are moving towards their cultural standard, not the other way around. That's what the money's for. So anyway, it's just a quick aside story, but it's a banger if you hate scumbag <laughs> orgs because it shows how like if you actually get involved with the LPL. The reason I bring this up also, by the way, is people are implying TSM's going to do this. Well, I'll tell you what, the day TSM signs on, don't ever expect them to support the current thing you want to hear from. Don't ever expect them to plaster their org with Ukraine, Russia, LGBT. They won't do it. In this, Essentially, it's implied you can't. You have to sort of stay clear of that sort of stuff, which is a big... I, th I actually think that in itself, even though it looked like a small story, because people think it's just about dunking on NAP, I think that's a huge story, Monty. Essentially, a Western organisation, most famously, like, based in Sweden, has just completely culturally bowed to China over, like, what they can and can't do on Western social media. I don't know why that's a small story. Like, to me, that's... I would do a four-horseman on that topic. Now. I think that's a mad <laughs> one for me. Well, especially because there are all these, uh, you know, riot employees constantly virtue signaling on social yeah. media and their own company is trying to suppress support for ukraine in a war against russia it's kind of crazy so that's the company these people well, work for and they're just yeah. cool with it they're just cool with it's it. kind of crazy to me i know <laughs> so yeah i think i think I, I i think like going back to the a buy thing you know the 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 brand sharing arrangement. So I think what's going on though, it's unclear to me whether Ebay might pay the $3 million because the language is, you know, in translation or he has paid the $3 million. But the point is, is that Ebay is considering or has paid this money because I think he realizes that the, the PR damage to his own brand, even though he's not responsible for making these payments, right? Um, would what's be worse. Being taken, putting your brand over the top. Like they will think that it's you who did everything right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think maybe he thinks that it's worth $3 million perhaps to, and also, you know, probably he wants to do right by the players. I would like to think there's some <laughs> maybe we'll nobility see. in this where, you know, if he's, he, he, he may want to, you know, fix the wrongs that are made within the org um, and make sure that people actually get paid for the work that they've done. But it sounds like an extremely serious issue and another time where, you know, we don't know what's going on with infinite reality, but I think the combination of the Web3 collapse plus the esports collapse probably hasn't done kind things to them. And Ebay is now sort of on the hook, at least in terms of PR, for whatever is going to happen with this. And also, it, it, this is just another thing that goes to show, Ebay's co-stream for LEC is absolutely massive. He gets like 100,000 concurrent viewers at times, I think. And if he is unable to make money and this org is going out of business, even though they have potentially the best possible sales pipeline into LEC itself, how crazy is that? <laughs> how crazy is that? Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, like there's going to be more reporting that comes out around this. And maybe well, they sell this lot. You can't help plebs, Monty, because they're going to think, because they're fucking morons with room temperature IQ. Like, But if he makes loads, what's the big deal? It's just three million. Like, 
literally, I don't, I won't even dignify that sort of thinking with like fucking response. You're so stupid, it's impossible. If you think three million is nothing, you'll never have three million. That's actually how money works. Like three million is a lot, even if you make $400 million a year. That's how you keep $400 million. Like three million to, on something you don't need to spend it on is enormous, mate. Like, I don't, I don't know why people think money works that way, mate. Like this as also, how are you going to justify this in your expenses? Like if it's three million now, what happens if next year it needs to be more? Like, do you even have like a, is there a contingency plan here? Is there like a limit you hit and then you have to just bail and you're out 10 million? Like, I'd, this sounds really bad to me, mate. People are going to think this is no big deal. Like, he's got the money for it. It's like, no, this, this sounds really bad. I, I can't, like I was saying, mate, dude, they've only been in the game one year. How in one year are you minus three million already? Were you? And we're not talking minus three million. It's more than that, mate. As in, you have to directly catch and inject three million now. Yeah. That implies, by the way, if you don't do that now, you just fucked immediately. Like, like as he's saying, notice what they say there that they very softly phrase, Monty, is about how a bunch of defaults would happen. The questions I have is, what are the defaults? Is the defaults like the league slot? In which case, by the way, if you default, you're not going to be allowed in the league anymore. Is it things like, I don't know, your facilities that you have, that you maybe you have like a mortgage? What, what defaults are we talking about, dude? Because I don't think it is just salaries. Like this makes it sound really alarming. Like the company's fucked if he doesn't put his own money in. Yeah, I, I it does sound like that. They either can't raise more money or the company is not being willing is not willing to distribute that money to the organization because they they have other ventures that they're working on um, that they'd rather spend the money into. So maybe they're just refusing to pay people for the work that they've done or hoping that eBay bails them out. But yeah, certainly a, it's a super bad look. I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with this. If you're infinite reality, uh, just seems like another casualty of esports winter. But perhaps uh, TSM will buy the old slot. You know what I mean? They were they they were inquiring about Misfit slot previously. They oh, were yeah. inquiring. Just it. My dream is Reginald's dream. I want him to get an LPL slot and then immediately have his entire life run by the communist China Chinese Communist Party. That's my dream. <laughs> My dream and his dream, same dream, it turns out. It's all I want. It's all I want. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, really, really rough. That is a, it's a lot of big news that we can only really I mean, talk about. That's terrible. Because remember, they were one of the success stories, Monty. It was supposed to be these orgs, Rogue, Rogue joined with Koi. Misfits became, I think BDS was them, right? And then Schalke became... Heretics. Maybe I got that the wrong around. Maybe it was actually Heretics that was Misfits. I think it might be that way around. But yeah, it was Heretics that was Misfits, yeah. Those orgs were the ones that moved over. Well, at the time, that was a mad success story because it was like, I mean, look, a lot of them were equity swaps as well. But you remember the reports were like 37 million euros for a slot, etc. At the time, that actually made people think, dude, just the slot sales alone mean this can be like a business and you can sort of invest and you can flip it sort of like a penthouse suite type scenario. This makes it sound like, one, nobody's actually moving giant Brinks trucks of money around. We're just doing equity swaps and like changing numbers in an Excel spreadsheet. And then also, secondly, that everything was overhyped and like it's all just kind of a facade and behind the scenes, everything in trouble. And, and like this is people don't get it. The reason it's called the eSports winter is everyone's getting fucked by this. In the And you've made, because stupidly you've made a global ecosystem. That means it, when something happens in America that fucks things up, it fucks things up for everyone in the other part of the world as well. So we're all in the boat on the same one on this one. Yeah. <laughs> as I'm sure as, a bit last year, mate, everyone in the LEC was like, lol, who cares? It's just LCS. Like, it'll be coming for you as well, idiot. Where do you think your VC comes from? It all comes from bloody Silicon Valley, you idiots. Pretty much. Yeah. 
or or celebrities. I think the fu- the funniest thing is that um, is that uh, if you go to the the Infinite Reality website, these are some of the same investors from Rec Global. It's like you know Steve Alki and Imagine Dragons and a bunch of like DJs and musicians. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he was with Rogue. Yeah, I remember that. The Steve he was. Guy, yeah, yeah, he was. Yes. Steve Alki was with was with Rogue. So it's the same people. Um, but I mean, how much of the company do these people actually own? Right, that's always the question. Like 0.1 percent, or how much money did they really put also, in? Also, you know the other reason why I hate this idea, Monty, that people stupidly have that the influencers will be the ones who will save us. It will be the disguised toasts and the Tareks of the world who will make teams and then save us all with their incredible brands is you actual fucking idiots are so stupid you are inadvertently trying to cargo cult create the fucking ggl hip-hop league from the 2000s that is one of the most famous meme shit concepts ever in the, like where snoop dogg actually was the commissioner and had actual rappers coming in and doing like team-based esports like you're actually trying to like unironically create that though and this is the, here's the reason by the way as a quick rant as to why that is a terrible idea notice how the disco- disguised toast guy came into league he hasn't even been here like bloody five minutes he came in and then did that classic obnoxious thing which means i pray for you to fail which is you come in and even though you've only been there four seconds you go around going like the jacob what you do the jacob wolf you just go everyone in this industry doesn't even bloody know what they're doing and i'm the only one who's figured it all out then one year later, you're in the hot seat going, oh, I'm pretty losing loads of money running this team. Like it's millions of dollars, you know. Do you know the costs are really high and like you don't make any revenue? But it's like, no shit. We all know that. The difference is people like Jack from day one have to run a functional business. You don't. What you do is you're a big influencer, which means your personal brand gets big sponsors and money. So what happens is you take this influx of money that at the moment doesn't come from the game, it comes from your brand, and then you stupidly chose to divert that money instead of like you know into your finances you chose to divert it into one of the most notorious money pits in esports having a team org and then at the end you go you know i'm just losing all my own money here and then idiot fans go well i'm actually not going to learn any of these lessons where's the next disguise toss it's like you guys you can't you can't be helped you cannot be helped and half of you by the way are better doing that moron logic of that guy in the twitch chat of like but they make 10 million losing 2 million is nothing to them bro i wish you could just lose at that rate i wish every time you made a hundred dollars you lost 20 dollars of it and i could just go to only 20 bro you still got 80 left. Remember to pay the taxes on that 100, though. Like, I wish I could just do that to you. You deserve to actually be in that situation because that was the thing that upset me the most about the LCS walkout, is I hoped when I revealed all the figures, people would just go like, whoa, this is like a really different scenario. That No, no, people just petulantly went like, well, if they can't make money, I guess everyone just deserves to lose money and just close the LCS down. It's like, that's your solution. It's just like to, to flip the board like a little kid having a tantrum and just say, let's all go home. I'm taking the ball. Like... Because that solution is not a solution, Monty. I know I know they think it's going to happen because there's this Valorant push where like, oh my God, maybe like Ben Affleck will buy a team and then Ludwig and Moist Critical <laughs> will buy in. Like, even if they do, all you're doing for real is like I say, because they essentially have like a luxury brand where they're getting all this money as a personal influencer. Yeah, for a short time, they can chuck a bit more fuel on the fire, as it were, but eventually they're going to run out of money and they're going to need to pay. And then secondly, all you've done is push our 
problem a year or two down the line. You haven't ever solved it in any way. Like, by the way, I actually think for real, if that was a viable strategy, I think someone like Riot or Blizzard would have done this. If they really could have done like an Overwatch League just with like massive influences, that was not, I think someone would probably have tried that. I don't think it works long run. Like I say, to me, it's just, you have a bit more money that you can just piss away. And then eventually even you're going to face the exact same organizational problem. I do think Disguised Toast has valid criticisms about the shittiness of brands within the esports space. Um, and influencers are good at building brands. This is true. But the problem in, and why they can't be the messiah, Thorin, is that their business is vastly different than the esports business, right? Because it's like the they... thing about TSM. It's like the joke with TSM is this. The reason it never made sense to say we make money but it's from all the guides, not the team. It's like, well, then why have the team, you idiot? Just get rid of the team and only make money off the guides at that point. Like, again, why would you take a healthy business and connect its life force to a dying business that only survives vampirically by like sucking the life force out of living businesses? Like, in that scenario, it's like, then then I, I don't see what the upside for them in esports is, basically. Right, you should just spin off the you team know? and yeah. provide the owner the license to use the TSM brand for the Sounds team. Perfect, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think when you look at it, though, the way that people like Disguise Toast or Ludwig make money, a lot of the time it is through direct contributions from their viewers. A lot of their revenue comes from subscriptions, donations, right? These things where users... Yeah, that's thing. When they have the goal to be like, this, this, your financial model doesn't work. Hey, guys, uh, the top donator today, I'll be writing your name around my bunghole with a Sharpie <laughs> later. Like, yeah, I wonder why Jack can't get your fucking deals, you cretin. Like, <laughs> maybe he has like some decorum or like dignity in a human soul or something. I don't know, bro. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out as I go. Um, so it's just very different <laughs> because the thing is, is that people, for whatever reason, and uh, we don't know the answer to this, but they are willing to pay $5 a month to Dr. Disrespect, but they are unwilling to pay $5 a month to Cloud9. Why is that a thing? I don't know. Um, it, it might just be a perception thing parasocial relationships with an individual, we could guess a million different reasons as to why that is. But overcoming that gap has been the biggest problem. The reason why Twitch will not pay for media deals within esports is because esports doesn't make them as much money per user on the website as somebody who watches XQC, right? And when somebody pays for a subscription, Twitch is getting a cut of that every single time. But when there are no subscriptions or direct user support on the esports channels, then there's then there's no more revenue. So why would you pay a premium to esports that generate less revenue per viewer? Right? Why would you pay for a media rights deal? Doesn't make any sense. So, you know, I think that these influencers coming in, while they themselves may be able to directly monetize their audience, and maybe... Maybe there will be a way that they can do that with a team. However, the fact that no team has ever successfully done that, even with major influencers on board, like if it were true, then why is Rogue slash Koi in a giant hole right now? They have one of, if not the biggest streamer on the planet affiliated with their brand. And apparently they are $3 million in debt. And by the way, it's only $3 million. If you have if you have a streamer who can get 3 million concurrent viewers and you can't make an additional $3 million, that is a huge fucking problem. Huge problem. So I suspect 
that it's just not possible to convert esports viewers in the same way that you convert them monetarily as an individual streamer. Oh yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it's tough. I think it's tough and I don't know the solution to that, but I don't think that people have this magical thinking and every time I hear, well, what about the LCS? It's like, well, get, get Mr. Beast in there and get this guy's toast in there, et cetera. It's like, it might bring more viewership, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be profitable or that the, it will convert to sponsorships, right? The real solution is actually obvious. The only way we'll ever teach these motherfuckers is they're going to have to actually be burned themselves, Monty. So the solution isn't a meme. You need to do Reddit plays LCS. You all need to pitch in $10 and we'll get together a nice big kitty of 20 million and we'll buy you a slot and we'll put in the players that you guys want. And when we then in two years, again, are like, we've got no money. You've lost it all. The burn rate's insane. You'll go, but this business doesn't make sense. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we will tell you the whole time. Because one thing I do hear about the influencer thing, because of the parasocial relationship, is somehow, Monty, I'll never understand how myself. Somehow, because someone likes Disguised Toast streaming, when he signs a check for a pro player, Monty, he's a great guy. But when Jack, who I know inarguably has made me people millionaires in esports and done tons of good things, when he signs a similar check, he's an exploitative piece of shit. I'll never understand the connection myself. Is it because Jack doesn't draw people's names around his butthole with a fucking sharpie is that the real problem he has there is that the sort of like communication messaging issue we're having at this point in time <laughs> and also technically this is unconnected to anything i've just said i have thought of a way sentinels that you might be able to make some more revenue oh my god don't, don't you do it don't say what it is you know you just imagine yeah. that in your own mind it's unconnected unconnected, <laughs> unconnected. Completely yeah. unconnected. Yeah. Um, completely unconnected to other things. Uh, yes. So uh, let's, you want to talk about some actual League of Legends <laughs> now? It seems like a good, good break let's do there. It. Okay. <laughs> so we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, mentioned the, the LCK finals, pretty big stomp uh, from, from Gen G. As we, as we expected, honestly, just really good read on T1 overall. I think the, the drafts, behind this these games were extremely good very versatile uh i was happy eventually we got to see kt get into worlds at least which should be yeah. good even though i don't know what was going on in both of these t1 series again i thought they would be more prepared this time around right and it turns out that they just couldn't deal oh, with carriers sure lulu <laughs> I'm sure on Power Spike and your other what yeah, you yeah, yeah. show, I'm sure you've talked about these matches. Oh, yeah. So I'll give you my perspective. We'll come at a All different right. angle on this one. So first things first, I'll tell you the biggest bomber about that second KTT1 series. It wasn't just that T1 won, by the way. Fair play to them. They played great. My biggest bomber was this, right? Mate, at this point in time, it's not just about like who's the better team. Some of the KT roster players or maybe even the coaching staff clearly have a psychological deficit or wound when they play T1. Because I thought in the upper bracket one, mate, initially they went, I thought they were doing cocky drafts. I actually yep. get the vibe now. They're just scared, mate. They just they just go away from their own game plan because some of these drafts make no sense for KT. And then also when you look at like the way these games are playing out, Right, here's what's funny. 
these games actually almost make me look stupid for that convo in the last episode. You know what I said? But why is Lehens the MVP? If you actually look how they drafted against KT, don't the other teams think Lehens the MVP? They're all like banning all his support eight, champions. Eight support <laughs> like, fair play, that actually almost implies maybe in scrims he is like the most cracked out member of the team. And if you don't shut him down, they win the games. I don't, I don't get it, mate. Fair play. Uh, I was wrong. So, I mean, that first game, I think that KT was shook by the eight support bands and they they really wanted Lahans to be on an engaged support even though the singed is just objectively oh, terrible ridiculous reach what a ridiculous it, it, reach it to start series with bro it was Come just on. terrible <laughs> but i think they just got surprised in the draft and didn't have a plan for what happens when there are eight support bands and also they they clearly like T1 clearly went in with a very good game plan of let's focus on the Lulu and taking away some of Lehen's support and like crush through the bot lane. The real question is, why didn't they just do what Genji did in the final, which is ban Azir, Nico, and Zaya, which are basically the only way that T1 can win games of League of Legends because Faker is not oh, really performing this, right now. This makes me think I'm watching WWE, right? A guy who was just injured to the extent he couldn't even play the games comes back. He's not even one of the best players anyway, mate. And if anything, what did his time away show us? Like, it's actually like what he does to the rest of the team that's important, not him individually. So take away the champions that do those things. I don't get it. Like, me and Dom at this point in time, one of the few things we're totally aligned on is, it's like, they have, I'll, I'll give you the best analogy ever because it's from sports, right? There's a thing that all, whenever you have a commentator in basketball Monty who's a former coach they always say this thing at the end of the game where if you have some like amazing perimeter player who's good at making like the last second shot like Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant or someone like that right what the guys who are the commentators were ex-coaches say is my number one goal in this scenario is don't let him be the one that beats me like what I'll do is I'll even like run a, a double team at him and let him pass maybe even to an open teammate because the open teammate essentially I'll live with them hitting the shot like if some bomb guy I don't know from like the sixth player in the team. If he can hit like a corner three and they win from that, fair enough. But what I don't want to do is let their best player like break me down and get a good shot and then win the game because I'm going to feel like a fool afterwards. I don't know why teams, coaches, it's like they mind fuck themselves away from what they know they need to do. They know on some level these are the best champions for Faker. But it's like they want to go, but imagine then if I win while he has. No, no, why? you don't need to imagine. Just ban him. If you, like this team, and then the the old classic ones was the Misfits with their Theo, etc. Like these are the most easy teams to cripple in the draft. You literally have players that if you pinch, like what they never got to do in this scenario is what you're talking about with the Lehens move. Where does Faker go if you ban for mid lane champions? Let me know what fifth champion he is not only picking, but he's going to have to pick it based on the matchup as well, bro. And remember, our mid lane is BDD. Like, we've got a guy with pocket picks, all sorts of shit. Like, I don't get when you don't do that, mate. Because to me, surely the lesson of this split is Faker is the pinch. Pinch him and what he can do in the game and the team will fall apart. But instead, they decided to just, it's like they have to have a gentleman's agreement to let Faker play League of Legends in the same way as in the West. Me and you would have just banned Zillion and there'd never be TSM at Worlds. But everyone was like, no, well, you got to give him that Zillion. Though. So why? Why do you have to do that? Why well, do you have to do it? It's also that in the third game of the series, when KT was down 0-2, that's when the Azir and Nico ended up being banned. Okay. 
He goes on Cassiopeia. He has a very bad Cassiopeia game. And then they just give him Nico for the rest of the series. And it's not only that, it's the way Katie... You can play the game there. Let me just give you this packet. Yeah, the cool. (laughs) We're ready to go again, right? (laughs) It's the way Katie is losing too. You know, in the fourth game, they almost lose that because Lehens is face-checking a brush at level one and they insta-lose bot lane as a result of it. In the fifth game of the series, BDD gets chunked out at like level two in lane by Faker. And then they have this giant vacuum in the mid lane. It's like, if you're going to play this, I'm, I'm a layman, but if you're going to play Vega, maybe just play it quite conservatively early in the game, you fucking break. You know what I mean? Like, champion would dummy on this game if it had gotten going. But it was in both of the series in T1 versus KT, KT was taking crazy risks early into the game and just like, straight up losing a lane which causes them to have to triage the game state and you know in spite of that what's crazy thorin is that they did win game four it was crazy they did win that game shout out to keen on rise for being incredible and bdd on ari for really like taking the burden off that game and then in the fifth game because they stole two barons they almost won that game as well (laughs) uh absolutely wild and and to bdd's credit he misplayed that lane but the fact that he had unsealed spellbook and they managed to get him in he managed to kill owner on nocturne and then get into the pit to smite the second baron that they stole was an amazing play it was a very very good play um but it's just like kt why why do you have to be trying to dig yourself out of a hole you know, in multiple games across these two best of fives. It's just completely ridiculous and completely unnecessary. And why can't you just take away Faker's champions and see what happens? Why can't you do that? The worst thing about this match as well was like, mate, there's no, I'm I'm just saying right now, there's no way KT gets swept like that in the final. That at least would have been a game. This final was dog shit because T1 won this, unfortunately. Yeah, like, because that was, the, that was one of the most comprehensive finals you're going to see. Because the bans were obvious, Thorin. The bans were obvious. It's like, Gumiyushi, don't let him have Zaya. That's one of their main win conditions. Don't let Faker have the Azir or the Nico. Fuck it. And, like, what is he going to do? Okay, well, I guess he plays Jace, Ari, and Talia, all of which Genji does a very good job of handling. And I do want to give massive credit to Genji's coaching staff, who turned around a really complete game plan in a 24 hour period after the KT game where they forced them onto some really like uncomfortable picks and they had answers to everything. They had answers to Zayas being dominant on this lethality Aatrox by, by playing the Camille into it. Right. Um, Chovy was playing the Silas, which isn't super common these days, but again, going back to digging out from the meta of last year, well, they have Maokai, uh, let's just go ahead and take the Silas because he just has better Maokai ult later in the game. Um, you know, the Blitzcrank is up. That's not a, a pick Delight is used to playing, but they saw all of the Lulu games from yesterday. And yes, T1 did ban Blitzcrank against Lehens. Delight has not typically been a Blitzcrank player, but he pulls it out versus the Aphilios and Lulu. It's a great pick to punish in lane. And he was and, smurfing uh, in this final. He was having yeah. a fucking bonus. <laughs> he was one of yeah. <laughs> Um, and then in the final game of the series, yeah, Genji fell behind. But the thing is, you know, you're trying to play Draven into a composition that has Maokai, Kasante, Jax, Nila, and Rakan. How do you ever walk up 
as Draven in these fights. Like the the CC wombo combo that you can set up between engaging with Maokai ult, hitting multiple people off that Maokai ult with a Neela ult or with Counter-Strike from Jax or Rakan ult. It's like the AoE CC is just so complete that you can you can basically chain CC until probably three or four people are dead on the team. And so unless T1 has a, a really truly massive lead and plays around picks with Talia and, you know, Nautilus, Sejuani and Draven, you just can't fight a straight up 5v5. And by the way, this was Pace's first professional game on Nila. If anything, Gumiyushi has been the Nila player this split. Uh, and so we got to see new stuff that's from Genji. That's what makes it look even worse for Gumiyushi is mate, the Pace guy's even less experienced than you. Like it's okay if Rulers dumps her. He's a legendary player, like the GOAT level player. Pace is the rookie, but the joke is he makes Guma look like the fucking rookie when he plays him. Yep. This is just legit, mate. Like, this has got to be one of the best pieces of scouting done in years, mate. There was no hype around this guy. Yeah. Outside of at least. I, I think there was no hype because Ruler might be the best player in the world right now. So why would you why would you hope that even if this guy is coming off the bench and has a lot of promise? But it, again, credit to Gen G, their development system, their coaching staff, identifying this player and it's getting him into a place Delight as well. Like, how did they find these players? Man, these are bangers. <laughs> yeah, Delight was on Breon last year, he's right? Better and he's better, and better every few months. It feels like. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, I thought Delight performed better than Lahens this oh, season. Great. That was my that was yeah. my opinion. Um, but uh, it looks good for Gen G. I I think T one. Their flaws got exposed, but credit to Genji, their players are extremely flexible right now. They played a variety of different styles over these three games. I enjoyed the finals, Thorin, because it was a complete takedown from an individual player perspective, from a strategic perspective, from you know shifting up win conditions for Genji. They played very differently across all three of these games, showed mastery of these team compositions. And I think Genji will be dangerous going into Worlds. I'm hoping that we don't see a repeat of Trovi regressing in form or Doran having bad laning phases or Peanut kind of like inting in the late game. Because honestly, this has been Peanut's best split in the last two years. He's had precious few mistakes, I would say. And he's been great. I think he was definitively also, the best jungler in LCK. This is where this I think, I feel like people don't keep track of like the historical trends. Dude, it's a fucking big deal to win three splits in a row and two in one year. Like that, that's not yeah. some small potato shit. So, like for people like Chovy, this is where I always tell people the problem with career narratives for players is they just they lag like a year or two behind. So when you actually do finally start winning stuff, if your career narrative is you were like a choker, it's like the joke is Chovy's like quietly won three LCK titles now. Like you do know there's not many players in history with three LCK titles of mid lane guys. Like I know he obviously had plenty he could have won in the past that he sort of blew. He's already making up for lost time though. And by the way, if they stay number one, he's going to win more. Like this guy can end with five, six LCK titles, which is probably what he was supposed to be at. So it's kind of a cool turnaround in that sense. But as you say, the problem now is We've seen you win domestically. Now you have to actually do it at Worlds. We need to actually see the big boy performance now. Like, you don't necessarily have to win, but I want to see, like, a finals or something. You know what I mean? Be, be like, actually in contention for the title. I think it's just disappointing because when we see Gen G compete internationally, they just abandon the strategies that make them good. I uh, We talked about this on Power Spike, and Dom and I had this discussion, but at MSI, instead of playing cross-map and macroing, they just opted into every team fight at Dragon. 
They, they I just... think that's just because the flaw is Koreans are always looking for the way to play. And so they thought, I guess, JDG had the way to play, I would imagine. So I think that was a mistake. Like, in my opinion, being stubborn sometimes better than this. we got to play to your strength, right? I guess. I, I just think it's not who they are. And it, it, it disregards an entire split of setting up this beautiful macro play around maximizing gold gain, playing, you know, uh, playing cross map for gold and then coming into mid and late game team fights around dragon with a, you know, substantial gold lead and giving them themselves those advantages and trusting that they were going to win the fights at third and fourth dragon, which had been the hallmark of their play that won them the LCK title. And then they opt into this entirely different style versus JDG and BLG that doesn't suit them whatsoever. And like last year at worlds, we saw Chovy, lose all sense of macro and honestly last year at worlds was their worlds to win that was their shot that was maybe the best shot they're ever going to have at winning worlds truly because they had ruler on the team at that point in time um they had won that game five against the i think they would have won worlds mate yeah but they played they played really badly by their own standards like It was very disappointing. I mean, they almost and, even fucked up and lost a damn one. Like, that even almost happened too. So yeah. it was a bit of a whack world, yeah. <laughs> they they played super badly uh, compared to what we had seen in the LCK and their, their super dominant, like, you know, summer run last year. And it was really quite disappointing to me and people who want to see this team play their style on an international stage. So there's always that fear now, after the last, after MSI and after Worlds, that they are not going to do that again and this world's they're not even coming in as the favorite right like they were i think coming in as the favorite last year and this world's like it's clearly jdg that is going to be the favorite for the world championship anything else from a title i think is it besides the title is a disappointment for that team i guess it'll depend on the meta but i think it's i think it's tough to say that Someone besides JDG should be winning. It's the team that has looked so dominant this entire year, hasn't lost a single best of five, and is a actual true super team that seems to be functioning well and people know their roles and are not trying to overreach or do things that don't make sense. Um, it's, it's well coached, well put together, everything. So I don't know, man. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be rough, but I'm hopeful that Gen G can at least do something, perhaps make the finals, uh, like you say, but it'll be hard for them to actually win the title, I believe. As for T1, I, I, unless Faker has some really big real rehabilitation in the coming months, I think their floor is high, but their ceiling is kind of low. Um for a team Mate, if, if I'm T1, I mean, I've said this in the past, but I think this is the split that justified it. The problem in the past was your domestic win rate in the regular split was too good. So you had to sort of think, well, there's still something there with the roster. You know, let's hope they develop more or get over the hump or whatever. Like, unless they win this world, if I'm them, I'm blowing this squad up. Like, I'll keep a couple of players. If you keep Faker, great. If you keep Zeus, great. If you keep Owner, great. A couple of players have to change out. Like, I've just seen, I've saw, like, I don't think people know how long this line was played against. Quite a lot of fucking games now. Like, they've had yep. a, a very healthy le- time span. Like, if it just doesn't work this time, you, you've got to just crack on and go with a different yeah. approach. Uh, you can't continue to disappoint at this level. Like, you have lost both of the international finals you were in with this roster. You didn't make the international finals of the last international tournament. You've lost three of the four domestic titles during this 
time period, there is something that is bothering this team um, that has led them to underperform in the most critical moments. And so it's got to change. I, agree. I mean, this so, is yeah. where I'm just good at doing this, mate, irritating fans. It goes like this. If you give Faker the credit when they win the series and when they go far, then spoiler, when they lose five straight finals, that makes Faker a choker by definition. He hasn't performed well in a lot of these finals either. Because the real problem is this. It's one thing, Monty, if you're like a really sick underdog and you just keep reaching finals and losing to like the team's sport. Dude, they're like even money or a favorite in most of these finals. Like even on this last one, on paper, Gen G was the big favorite, right? But Gen G has like rookie players still. Like there's a world where you could have made the case of like, this should be a nice matchup. Like T1's got chances. Like that's the other thing. It's the way they lose these finals is so underwhelming. Like they don't do, like put it this way, in these series we're talking about for the last like year where KT keeps losing these five game series to T1, they can lose and at least go to sleep and go, hey, we almost won that or we were right in it or maybe we should have won game five. It's almost never the case with T1. Like they, they just have like conclusive games, like especially the game fives. The game fives are nearly always shit in the finals that T, T1 loses. And in this case, forget any narratives of Chovy and Peanut choking. You can't even get a game off them. You can't even activate any world where they have to think about it or second guess. They're just cruising to victory. Just easy for them at this point. Because I think it's tragic how many fucking finals they've lost now, mate. Yeah, they think even just by accident you win one. You know what I mean? You think you, think you just have like a Baron steal in the game and win one of these motherfuckers. It just never happens for T1. It's like they actually conclusively can't win. It's also that if you think about Faker's historic run of titles, oftentimes he was the biggest player in these finals. He was the one pulling out picks like mid riven into Cassiopeia that nobody had ever seen before and completely dominating. Like he was the clutch player. He was the clutch player doing something completely unique and crushing his opponents and being the, the tip of the spear for T one's victory. And now he's had some good semifinal performances on an individual level, but he can't actually like he is oftentimes, I would say, the reason why his team is losing in some of these finals. Like he he did put up a pretty bad performance in the finals of Worlds last year, in spite of having some really good semifinals games uh, with Rise. Where is the clutch performance? Like, who is the one who steps up and carries T1 in the big games and the most important games? And the answer has been nobody. Right. It's what kills me as well. It's funny because I'm a massive skeptic of Gooby Yushi. I've never actually thought he was ever close to the best ADC in the world. He's just been a good player at times. But here's what's sad. I actually think he's gotten better and better as a performer over the years in T1. The one that always kills me is Zeus, mate. Because he is the one where, if it's the regular season, he is one of the best. He's the, he has arguably the best Korean top player. There. He's a contender for best top player in the world. But every time I see him in the final, he just does fucking nothing, mate. Or just gets like inexplicably dumpstered, even like it's bizarre because that has to be a mental thing, mate. It's nothing to do with skill. I know he's a good player, but in these finals, it just something uh, he, a, a switch flips and he just he just cannot win. He cannot win somehow. Like, think about the people he's losing to. I'll at least give it to Faker, mate. He's losing to Chovy and fucking Knight. Like, these are god players. Zeus is losing to fucking Doran and Kingan and it's like. Bro, what, what is your resume that you're losing to? You're making these guys legends. I think, I think the one of also, the biggest. Also, has three straight LCK titles, Monty. Come on, man. <laughs> Outrageous. I don't even hit on him, but like, fucking hell, come on, three in a row. <laughs> 
I, I, at this point, if I'm Doran, it's like I say about Beryl, just go evil. Just start embracing being the villain. I, I want you to actually rock up and bear in mind my boy Flame has zero else get Just be like, where the rings at? Where the fucking sound like three <laughs> rings of like Tom Breeze. Like, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> just start flexing that you're a champion at this point. Why not? And even play, by the way, even though, in fact, here's the, here's the joke, Monty. Doran is reverse or bizarre or Zeus. Because in the regular season, Doran always just looks like, ah, whatever, he'll be a liability internationally. But in the finals of these tournaments, he's always fucking good. He actually is pretty good in these finals, to be fair. He is. And I think that's exactly what you want out of a player. Because if your game plan is based or if you can win games while Doran is running it down in lane, then imagine how good you're going to be when he actually just overperforms. The problem with the, game, you're win the problem sure. the problem with Zayas is this: Zayas has these good regular season performances, so no doubt, as a GM and as the coaching staff, you are building your game plan around Zayas's performance, which is very consistent in the regular season for the most part. It was he he fell off when Faker left, but I think that was just mostly a mentality thing because he bounced right back uh, when Faker returned, and we saw some really good performances again. But what do you do when you reach a final and you are your your game plan and your the way your team operates, your synergies with your players, um, your focus in your draft is around Zayas? What happens when he doesn't show up in those finals? You have spent an entire year of practicing a certain way to play a certain way. And then it just all goes out the window. So at that point in time, you have to reevaluate your entire team with the assumption that he is not going to be the carry player. But yet, he is going to demand a contract yeah. as a superstar player. It's oh, hard to justify keeping I think, it was him. Last, I think it was the last episode where we pointed out that like this is going to be the greatest offseason ever for LCK, where all the crazy I like, even wasn't even like Kane available as well. Like it was fucking yes. it was like it was like every position there's like a including Zayas it's Zayas Carrier, yeah. Gumayushi, Deft, Canyon, Showmaker, Keen, Aiming, uh BDD is still under contract, Faker is still under contract, owner is still under contract. Like basically everybody else is not. By the way, there's another reason why you potentially consider a Gumiyushi replacement. Because you're pairing someone with Carrier. Like you can take another, you could have like fucking Viper and put him with Carrier and see, you know, let's fucking start cooking with gas. Yeah. Yeah. You by could. the way, that's another thing. By the way, let's talk about that for a second. Everyone's memeing on KT and T1. No, Hanwha Life are the ones who can fuck right off right now. You don't even play for worlds. You actual bums. You don't even get there. So, like, the reason why that kills me, mate, is Viper, to me, is one of the most, like, bona fide eye tests. Like, this guy is amazing at League of Legends players. Like, if this player isn't just screaming out to be on a better team, like, if I'm someone like T1, I'm just, the second, like, the availability happens, I'm just ringing his phone off the hook mate like it's a slam dunk to sign a player like this is just too good well we a deft will also be a free agent so we could see the deft faker super team construction for some reason, from deft has to play in every team except fakers his whole career <laughs> but that's a random detail people won't know because they don't keep track of these things i looked it up by qualifying for this world damn one deft has actually will have now been to as many worlds as fakers they've both been to eight at this point in time that's amazing. That's another reason why Deft is like a goat candidate. Like his longevity also is impossible. It's just and he was great. He was great this year, honestly, on a banger. fucking dumpster team for the most part, or a team that had a lot of problems, and he was basically never the problem. Uh, and he still led the league in like damage per minute, despite the fact that he had uh, not not a lot of help. Let's put it that way: not a lot of help. Um, so yeah, it's. I, I'm glad D plus is going. They did look better. I will say in the in the regional qualifiers. If you do if you do sign Deft, 
He's already played with Kerry, mate. That might even be like a fucking perfect connection to make, right? That's a good point. Yeah. If you keep if you keep Kerry on as well. Um yeah, I, I think I think when you when you look at Hanwha life, it's obviously people will be disappointed because there were ex factors exterior to the game that were affecting this team, but it's not like Clid was performing, right? Oh, but no. getting Grizzly thrust into the limelight when he clearly has a lot of potential issues in the early game. Like, yeah, he can kind of carry on the Viego in the late game if he can farm up, but he isn't really doing anything. He's like actively avoiding the enemy jungler in the early game. And so when we see teams play against them, like we saw in the, in the regional qualifier with KT, it's very easy to focus the bottom side of the map, uh, play for early dragons and then force Hanwha to fight you at like third and fourth dragon with a bot lane deficit. And what do you do in that case? Like Viper may not have the gold to carry the game and you can get them to commit to engagements earlier than perhaps they would like. And it's hard. I think it's hard to do that. Oh, I would say it's just have your world champion solos carry the game. What's the problem? <laughs> oh, they're not actually I... that good. Well, who knew? Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. By the way, I will say, there is a degree to which the meta did almost say, like, it was almost like Riot was like, I explicitly don't want Zika to go to Worlds again. Like, <laughs> they did go pretty hard against him, like, right when he needed it, to be fair. Because like, remember, there's no world. In, like, you can't... You, here's the thing, guys. You might think if you watch LEC and watch SK, like, but Searchers can play in a Carly game. You know, like, one. You can't play, like, five best of five games on fucking Akali and win the game. Can you? It's not going to happen, so... To be fair, in that sense, it is it is fair that those players don't get to go. It's just whack because, dude, Hanwa really was... Now everyone's going to memory hall this, just like they did with T1 being bad. Hanwa life really was upticking. I actually don't blame them on paper, KT, for picking T1. I get it. I get the logic of why they thought that was the good move. Yes, now it's yep. egg on their face in hindsight. But at the time, that did look like it made sense. Like Hanwa looked like they were certainly getting up one of the four spots. Yeah. And they should have, based on the spend right that they were making and also because d plus was a mess uh showmaker didn't look good for a lot of this year they kind of couldn't carry the game when he had the resources kellen and bible were swapping in and out they had serious late game shot calling problems and now d plus looks like showmaker is kind of back in form um they still don't i would say have the strongest late game shot calling but if they can play through bot lane and showmaker and kind of just have kana on weak side that's a way that they could potentially do well um, their strengths remain in terms of flexibility of champion pools, the ability to swap picks between various players because Canyon's pool is so deep and he plays weird junglers. Um, yeah, I thought they looked a lot better. But Hanwa, they bought Zeka and Kingen at the absolute peak, which was crazy because we said that, yeah, the meta hit right, but these guys are probably patch zergs. And for 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 people who love Zeka, shouldn't we have seen more development from this guy this year? His champion pool hasn't really changed very much, and he hasn't actually sh demonstrated the expertise we know he's capable of on Akali and Silas on any other champions, really. Maybe Yone, you could say, but he needs to be able to play a lot of champions at a consistently high level, and that hasn't been the case. His Azir is up and down. Uh, his Tristana he brought out, but... How can this guy, after another full year of comp uh, competition, just not have kind of reached the next level? Like, I think he's just capped at this point in time. Oh, yes. He's never going any better, mate. He's an all right player, but come he's on, fine. he's not getting better than this. 
but he, he's not going to join, you know, the upper ranks of historic LCK players unless he actually can diversify his champion pool and play a variety of different styles, which, you know, hasn't been there for him. By the way, here's another example of how narratives lag in your career. This is the sixth LCK title for Peanut, if people don't yep. understand. Right? You are aware that's more than like Bengi, Dandy, or pick whatever names you like, all the greats, that's more than all of them. I love shit like that, by the way. One thing I love about sports and esports in general is even if you don't actually like kill the like movie narrative, like for example, it's not like Peter overcame being like the choker and is now like the most insanely clutch player. He hasn't done that. But it, what he showed is there's other ways to win. Like Peter is a player that shows that thing of like turning up's half the battle. Like just get to loads of finals. And if you're a great player, some of them will go your way. You will eventually get some rings. And in this case, cause he's just endured and mate, this guy's been at the top for years now. We're talking what? Seven, eight years. Like, this is really long time. Like, He's finally got all his rings. Like, fair play. I, I, I love it when people sort of come good at the end and they finally get all, like, what they deserve, you know? And he got all those titles while being in China for a year as well. You know, he wasn't even, he wasn't even in the LCK the entire time. He wasn't in it for most of the time. Um, and he's, he's done it, uh, what, across three different teams he's gotten titles? Three, yep. four? Um, yep. So it's been a variety of different rosters. And arguably, he should have gotten some when he was on Rocks. Because it's Rocks, KT... Uh, yeah. No, SKT, King Zone, and Gen G. Four different squads. That's another yeah. thing. By the way, there's another factor. The reason why I bring this up, by the way, is because no one ever, ever corrects the narrative. Like, you, you are aware, just that fact alone, six titles, means King Peanut gets to be in, like, greatest jungler ever discussion. Now, you might disqualify. Maybe I test would say, no, but maybe you're a fan of some player sure. who had a dominant year. But that means he gets to be in the convo. He did it. It's the same shit, basically, Monty, that Khan did. People only ever focused on the fact that Khan used to, like, choke internationally. And they act, like they somehow missed that he himself had won, like, six championships or something. Like, man, that is incredible. If you can win domestically, like, an elite region, six championships, you were one of the best to ever play. Like, you are a GOAT candidate. Like, you deserve to be in the convo, whether you get picked or not especially because i i know that peanut is the main shock caller on this roster and i imagine that if you remove peanut from this team it, the t1 effect happens as if you remove right. faker i think he's incredibly important to the way in which this team plays and the way in which it functions and i think the combination of peanut and score their coach is one of the greatest strengths of Gen G because those two minds together have produced a very unique style in the way that Gen G play and win the game and the way that they use the resources that they have, right? Um, Pays, I think, as a rookie, was able to slot into a system where he could be successful because his role within the team was very well defined and because Ruler has a play style that was similar to Pays in terms of being kind of the ultimate team fight clean up ad carry um where it, it didn't require pays to take enormous risks so if pay, pays can kind of just slot into that job and knows very clearly what his job is then players like peanut and chovy can really set him up for success um so i think what it, you I think do, i'll tell you how you offset here's the hedge monty the way you hedge against the eternal perennial disappointment of KT Rolster is you just remind yourself that Score and Maffa are the coaching staff of Gen G. So technically the Gen G ones sort of count if you're a KT fan. 
Those, they're still titles, mate. They're still KT players winning championships, you know. <laughs> a, a KT championship by any other name, Monty, would it not smell <laughs> as sweet? You know. <laughs> I mean, score what started winning titles almost immediately. One split go. after he started coaching, it took him like one. seven years to win his first title. If this guy player. can ever actually get up there and win worlds and stuff, why wouldn't he be in the coach conversation? He's already building up his domestic resume. He's made like a motherfucker. He he's literally won every title except for his first title as a coach, in which he made the finals. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. And also, I think it's just the way that because Genji is a very cerebral macro team, that's where a coach can have a lot of effect, right? Oh, his and, fingerprints clearly seem to be on the yeah. team. And also their drafts have been generally, I mean, look at the finals. These drafts were really good, I think, against T1. The preparation is there. The knowledge is there. Uh, looks looks really uh, looks really good. So I, I, I'm hopeful for Genji, but I've also been, I've been razor caked by them at international performances where I just scratch my head wondering why they don't play their style. And perhaps that will happen again this year. I think uh, with with KT, I'm a little obviously concerned about them given their their performance towards the end. At least they go to world, so that will be fun. It'll still yeah, be, it'll fun be fun to watch them mix it up. I, I'm also glad that D plus. I feel more confident about LCK because of the way that D plus performed in regionals. I thought the fourth C would be kind of garbage. But if Showmaker is really back in form, this could be a team. And and as always, everything we say about D plus slash Dom one, they adapt to metas quickly because of their large champion pools and they can win against everybody. The talent is on this roster. The talent is 100 percent on this roster. So you can never fully discount them. Have they ever lived up to the, the expectations over the last couple of years? No, they haven't. They've fallen short. But you just know that on the right patch or with the right confluence it's of factors of, motiv of motivation, maybe Imagine they can the get it done. Jungle meta just flips, or you get some like insane deft pocket pick. Is that you know like there's a bunch of angles you could see where suddenly they would do like a miracle run or something. Yep. And also, uh, it's just another team where again, like when we're doing the expectations of LCK. Yes, and LCK damn one is mad under. Mate, put them against all these fucking shit at LCK, LEC teams I'm watching. Let me see everyone who wants to tell me <laughs> death is washed. Then let me see your beloved berserker tear him up. Then can I see that match, please? Or yeah, I think G2 is playing sick now. Well, then let's have them against T1 and see how they do. You know what? I, I want all these matches, mate. It's why I really hope the Swiss does throw up like some awesome combinations because that's the one good thing it can do. Is obviously like you, in theory, you don't know who plays who, so you could have some really wild matchups, couldn't you? Right. And I think um, when you look at uh, <laughs> something for you, Thor, when you when you look at LCS, speaking of matchups, I blew Dom's mind with this because he hadn't actually thought about it. Oh, think I'm... about the mid laners that are going to Worlds this year. For oh, it's LCS. mental. Remember, the LPL and LCK ones is like the Hall of Fame of the best mid laners ever. <laughs> if you look at the LCS one, think it through, guys. Like, it's like Gory, Palafox, MNS. And who's the fourth one? APA. APA, there you go. <laughs> enough, enough said, mate. Enough said. The joke is that sounds like I'm reading a, like, a fucking Liquipedia entry of what the Academy League was three years ago in LCS, you idiots. Like, oh, and they, go, they, get, they get a ticket to the finals where they'll see the real professional players. Like, they go to Worlds. This is Worlds. Remember, mid lane's the most important position in the game. 
I mean, Gory Gory has been kind of legit in previous years, and he's God. he was the best mid laner, but he had had some he had some really terrible performances in the playoffs. So I'm at least hopeful that Gory can kind of get it no, back together. The thing. This, is, this is a player who did pretty well, you know, like on Nongshim and LCK. Sure. Here's the thing. I won't hit on Palafox because in some sense he isn't even supposed to be here. He's overly overperformed. And he's, he's also quite young in his career, to be fair, at the LCS level because he was stuck in academy all those years. The one that I can tell you right now, just, you know what, mark this moment in the VOD. If I'm wrong, great, make a meme compilation. I won't be, so get ready. I tell you what, this world is going to be where Cloud9 has to radically change their lineup after yep. this tournament, mate, because the yep. solo laners of Cloud9 are going to get fucking stomped in this tournament. MNS and Licorice are going, uh, sorry, and Fudge are going to get absolutely brutalized. MNS, especially, like, there's no way. Mate, that whole thing where he, at the end of the spring split and like briefly MSI, there was a little window where like, oh, there's some potential here. Remember, dude, people were even doing that story where because of MSI, he like was talking to Trophy. They were like, he wants to play in LCK one day. Well, get the fucking non-chim spot ready for him, motherfucker. Because it ain't going to be for a good team. Are you kidding me? Like, everyone, because Cloud9, so much of the summer split was supposed to be leagues ahead and everyone just assumed they'd win. Dude, everyone gave MNS a fucking pass, mate. I don't get it. He had a bunch of games that were just trash this split. A whole bunch. Like, we're talking yep. like, I need more than one to kill them. Of course. In the playoffs, he was criminal, mate. He's one of the reasons they didn't win. Yeah. I, I think I think I've I've said this for weeks and weeks and weeks, which is that there's no way MNS is on Cloud Nine next season, and I think he will get dusted at this Worlds if he's if he's getting rocks like this in some of these domestic events, like. Palafox oh, overperformed. That but... reminds me, I've got an angle for you. You won't have seen this because you aren't a dedicated viewer of Travis Gafford Industries content. But every now and then, like a masochist, not send you in back in the day. Every now and then, I'll watch the odd piece, and he did a piece which I thought was really funny. But mate, it actually aged so poorly for the LCS. Did you see this bit before the finals? Because you know, like obviously, there was the low bracket match, then the finals. Travis did a funny skit where he walked around with a camera and he would just ask people do you know who this pro is and he had a pro with him and the pro was parlor fox from nrg he walked around with him and he would ask people at the finals monty fans who have gone to the finals do you know who this player is most of them didn't know who it was and he then won the LCS. When when he won the LCS, it's right. only then that I clicked in like, holy shit. Travis is inadvertently exposed that like even the people who go to the games really are just people like, I was a big fan of Scar. You know, it's like they don't know shit <laughs> exactly. about the corner. That's so depressing. Like, because you're all now going to pretend, oh, I was loving Paul Fox's story. It's so inspirational. Like, no, you, you don't know who he is. Essentially, if he's even stood next to Travis Gafford, you're just like, <laughs> Who is this? A friend of yours, Travis. Like, no, it's only the fucking guy about to win the championship, you idiots. Like, no one knows these guys, mate. No one knows them. No one knows them. And the, yeah. here's the saddest one. I don't even count in that four players you're giving me. I don't even count the APA guy, mate. He's barely played anything professionally. Like, it's actually totally reasonable if he gets dumps and I don't if he can even have the odd pop-off, I'll give I'll give him a lot of fucking leeway because he's so fresh. He hasn't even played a whole split, you know. I give him a break. I give him a break. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's not about APA. Like, obviously, Liquid had a bad mid lane situation, and it's good to give this experience. And, you know, they managed to make worlds with it, which is, again, more of an indictment of North America as a region than anything else. And the failure of Golden Guardians to definitively make it to worlds, even though they are favorites, I think, when it comes to that fourth place match, given the state of LEC right now. 
it, it is just crazy. And I do think Palafox had a very good playoffs run, and I don't want to take away him having a good run of form. And perhaps he has hit the next level. I think he has performed well in a variety of different champions, and he was definitively the best mid laner within the LCS run. Yeah, but at the same time, if that's the new ceiling of mid laners within the LCS, that is hugely problematic. Right. I mean, spoiler, I've mentioned it a million times, but fucking Rocky didn't make it to Worlds again. And by the way, he's still really good. He's still really good. I mean, we just said fucking Zika, who I don't think is that good, but he's better than these players. Even he didn't make it. Like, right. mate, this is this is dire when we're sending these players. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think when we look at when we look at LCS right now, it is very, very difficult to get excited because it feels as though an, the individual player gap is Even just the angle, like crazy. the only angle you have in theory, right, is the berserker angle, right? But he plays yeah, ADC, yeah. like you can't, you're not gonna one v nine the game. The real joke, and this is good, this is the real true indictment of the LCS region. If I actually had to pick for real the one hope you have of a sexy BO one at Worlds, it's that summit actually just gaps someone in lane. That's it. Yeah. That can happen, by the way. You get the right I mean, matchup. Yeah, that's not possible. But I doubt you're going to win many games off that. That's the problem, you know. I think if Golden Guardians returns to form, they actually have a shot as well. If it's regular season Golden Guardians and not playoffs Golden Guardians, I think there's a chance. That's they a did big, okay. The problem is that's they a big okay one. They did okay at MSI. They have some big, pretty big fundamental flaws at the moment, though, is the problem. So In a best of one. We'll see on that. In a best of one, they might be able to do something. But... It, it, uh, the Berserker thing, he has won V9 games. I think what's so interesting about C9 as a team is that a lot of times they are unwilling to just let him carry on hyper carries. Like, you're on Ash now, Berserker. Really? You think that's the best use of Berserker? <laughs> I'm not sure that that's it. I understand why you're trying to do the things that you do because you think that the strategy is good. But if you have a player who can just gap other players and can hyper carry you to, to victory, just let him do it, man. Let him cook. Yeah, but uh, this is also why the West will never be good, Monty. Because you know what? As much as I always thought it was actually mad disrespectful, in China, they really will just be, hello, we have a guy called Uzi Ai. You are all just four supports to him. He will do what he wants. They won't do that in the West, mate, because here's the problem. They can't handle the idea that essentially you are sub-communicating all the rest of you in this room is sort of trash and he is just a god. Give him everything he needs. Like, they can't simultaneously have that be reality, which it is, but yeah. also then have their feelings hurt of like, what do you mean <laughs> though? Like, I am a good guy from, um, I do like, I don't know Australian accents, so I can't make the segment as funny as it should be, but you have a guy, well, I'm a viable player in my own right and I have my own ideas. The joke is it really is like some Iron Run novel with like, but I want to contribute my ideas and have my ideas. You're the shitter, I'm a genius, let me do what I want. Let me do what I want. Let me cook, exactly, let me cook. Oh, so yeah, I, I feel pretty doomed this year, even more than most normal. It's, it's doomed every year, but it feels particularly doomed. In, in so I've already, I've, I've already decided. I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to my villain arc. I'm just gonna literally. I've, I've already said this on Best Damn League Show. If you watch that, it'll be out with Vod by now. I'm sure. I'm just gonna do things like hope that Adam plays the shy stuff like that. You know, I just, <laughs> I just, I'm just, I'm in it. I'm, I'm here to watch the world burn now. Monty. I'm just here for evil. That's it. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see Parlor Fox against Knight. I want to see all the matchups, mate. I want to see Ruler against fucking. Let me see who who would I pick for that one 
That one probably should be Yon from Team Liquid. Ruler against Yon. There you go. Enjoy that one. Two Koreans, right? <laughs> Two Koreans. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> the joke is, after seeing this particular split of LCS, I think all the Korean imports should be given an honorary green card. You're, you're not even a real Koreans. You're all, there you go. Welcome to America. You're all Americans now. There you go. Problem solved. Ellis Island. Here's Thor in like, you know, the Statue of Liberty on Ellis Island. Welcome in. Come on in. We'll take all your grifters, grinders, your masters players. Slackers, come, especially. Come on, come on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, too good. Um, yeah. I, I don't feel too much more optimistic about LEC either, if I'm being honest. Yeah, a lot of these yeah, matches. The, the Twitch shot got that one. It should be LS Island, not LS Island. <laughs> there you go. Okay. You got As that he, one. Sends yeah. o- he sends you over go. his Koreans. He's like, exactly. take, take these berserkers. Yes. <laughs> By the way, that is a where even though he's a mate of man, LS is so fucking egregious. Because he will sort of be like, you know, and I'm the one who recommended Berserker. Like, that's all you did. He Berserker did the rest. Like, we can acknowledge that, right, LS? It is him being brilliant at the game and do all like it's not like you make it sound like you know you you fucking jump started the car and then it went off and won the race you know, like you sort of did it. it's like did you, you just said like anyone with eyes he's pretty fucking sick like yeah fair play that's good that, that is good <laughs> Uh, also, uh, here's the you know the worst thing. I'll tell you right now because I don't know if you've seen some of this, but they they keeps being this like mini flare up of the drama again on LS's stream. Where what happens is, even though LS Monty, this is what this is what's so weird about this scenario. Even though he himself expressly will not just tell the full story of what happened, and Jack from Cloud Nine also doesn't want to tell the full, <laughs> they can't stop. It's lightly hinting at something that may or may not have happened and whether that did or didn't. And keep, and so every time they both do this bitchy little thing, like, well, I, well actually, how would he know about that? Well, I do know about that because I've got people inside the office. Well, even if you do, though, you don't know everything about that, but I do know because I know about it. Like, oh, but you never, it's always a blue balls at the end. You never get the fucking, the payoff because they never uh, then just do say the thing. And the worst thing is, Low key, that's just playing in LS's hands, Jack, because for him to constantly be able to go like, I have a secret, but I can't tell you. That's just right. His, that's his fucking brand, isn't it? Being <laughs> mysterious and you're, oh, I wish you'd tell us about it. Oh, I can't. It's all, it's all fucking. And that whole thing just kills me because it was like four weeks or so. Like, we were acting like it was like, they were, just like Kobe and Shaq. They didn't play together for like eight years or so. Like, it was like four weeks. We just can't ever get past it, no matter what happens now. I you think never I think skip what... the event horizon of LS in Cloud Nine. <laughs> I think what's so funny about this is that it's just an unsolvable problem because on the one hand, LS can use it to continue to drum up mystique around himself. And on the other hand, Jack is one of the most conflict avoidant people that I've ever encountered. And so he won't tell the truth because he doesn't want to deal with like high level drama and information that would come out in a back and forth. So it'll just be never solved, I guess. We just have to deal with this until the end of time. Exactly. <laughs> just funny <laughs> just funny but i i don't think jack so, is ever look, as a random aside i will say this though bear in mind i don't do any shows with us so i have no other way to say this to him i will say in a fucked up way 
How did we accidentally backdoor into an LS meta where, unironically, this is what we've all been saying on my, like my European show. It's actually true, Monty. If all you had done from the end of LEC summer till the season finals was have your jungler play Ivan, you unironically actually would be in a really good spot. <laughs> it sounds like some mad LS meme advice, but it's sort of true. That actually is a really good meta pick right now. Yeah, it's great. Actually is. There, there there were some it's changes real. to Ivern, but I do of think course, that yes. it's just good. I mean, it is also just good. And he was he was right about it. But it's just his Time Lord Genshin moment, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to totally be too money. It's about the narrative, isn't it? You've got to crowbar it and make it work. <laughs> uh um, yeah. So LEC though, have any thoughts on on this last week of of competition? a bit sad to see XL just completely underperforming in that exit. The problem is XL basically did get cynically drafted against and completely exposed. Like that's why it was so fucking whack that series they played. And then also to me, I mean, if you ever wanted proof that G2 must again be winning every scrim and can do whatever they want, they didn't. this looked like one of the worst fucking, considering they won 3-1 and are going to cakewalk this region. This was dog shit, this series they had against BDS. It was really bad League of Legends, mate. Like, remember, the one thing we had left, because we already lost Cloud9, the one thing we had left was at least G2 was going to be super sick at Worlds. Like, they look fucking, they look better, but they look average against LEC, mate. Just sad. I think there was some experimenting going on um, within this, like, the... You know, the Evelyn pick, for example, certainly was pretty ineffective. Yeah, I'm noticing League experimenting always means it didn't work. Like, what about when you experiment? You go like, hmm, I've never tried having a beer, getting my dick sucked, and having cocaine. You know what? <laughs> fuck it up. I might not do it again, but that was brilliant. It's never like that, is it? Their experiments are like, what the fuck? Now I have no dick left. What? Like, why is it? Oh, why is it? Why? If you experiment, it should work every now and then, surely. Like, I thought, I thought personally, Monty, I thought blind picking Brown every game was an experiment. I thought that was pretty good experimentation. Their experimentation, more like a mistake you make in college and never talk about years later until you're in therapy, you know? <laughs> that was, is that what Yike's going to be talking about in exactly. therapy? The Evelyn pick. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's just going to be on a couch somewhere, isn't he? I felt invisible in the whole game. What was that doing? Oh, the hell? It was a bridge too far. I'll um, never be Yankos. It's okay. It's okay. No one will be. Oh, hell? I'll never be Yankos, though, will I? It's by the way, it felt pretty him, but he did get better every split, I have to say. I, I think I think Yike is is performing pretty well right now. G2 is just head and shoulders above everybody else. So if they have some interesting selections and draft. I don't really hold that against them. They bounce back really well in that series. I think with Excel versus Fnatic, this was really just felt bad because Fnatic also can't play the game of League of Legends correctly and can't convert on massive leads that they're given in some of these games. So I didn't leave this series feeling good about Fnatic. Um, obviously, Excel, once we see the Tristana, you know, Maokai Rumble bands come through, which was kind of how Mad Lions exposed them as well. Uh, turns out that you could just drop that Tristana ban and pick it yourself, and you'll actually play better if you're humanoid. But Fnatic also just had some really low points in this series. Uh, I was It was a very, very disappointing best of five from a gameplay perspective. And I don't know how anybody can leave feeling good. And obviously, Oscar was injured within that series, which certainly probably affected things, but it didn't affect Humanoid's teleport button, for example. And 
By the way, Thorin, here we have another emergency substitute. Wonder, of course, is he on Fnatic's roster? No, of course he isn't. Does Fnatic have a substitute top laner on their roster? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Are they allowed to emergency sign Wonder, one of the best LEC top laners in history, for the rest of the playoffs? Yes, they are, apparently. I don't know how that makes any sense, by the way. Like, think of the same scenario. I'll give you a similar scenario. Obviously, it won't work totally because they'd have to be someone without a contract like Wonder. But let's imagine, I'll give you the weird one example. Okay, let's say, Monty, that like Perks in Vitality, for example, had had some arrangement with Vitality that if he didn't make Worlds, they'd release him and he didn't have a contract anymore. Imagine now if BDS goes, oh, by the way, um, Nook's having like, you know, mental problems. So we're just going to bring Perks in and he's just going to play the next series. By the logic of all the fans just saying nothing, that's cool. Yeah. What I don't get about this is those rules are incredibly strict. Like, I'll tell you something. In Counter-Strike, we even have it in that game where if you used to even, if you'd even played like the minor for a different team, you couldn't swap and play on a different team in the major. Like you were eligibility roster locked and you couldn't play. Like, I actually think it's meant like, as you say, if you already have a sub-top laner, game over. There's no way you're getting a player who isn't on your team. It's maybe there's a case if you have no sub, we can find a way that you can still sign someone. And then, yes, someone who isn't on a team would be appropriate. But I'm with you, Monty. This is EG all over again. It doesn't make any sense why you're allowed this substitution. As far as I can tell, you just know fans would like to see Wonder play, so he's allowed to play. Isn't that it? Like, yeah. what's the justification for it? They have a team in the ERLs called Fanatic TQ that has a Danish top laner named Doxy. I, I just don't understand when you have a player on your roster or on, isn't this what academy teams are for, right? And how can you just make a, a substitution of, a, of this player, especially because now we don't know what happened to Oscarinen's hand, but this this injury, like we have to know the nature of this injury because if it's something that he did to himself, that's that you're shit out of luck, guys. Like I just don't understand. For the roster lock has occurred. If your player is injured, you use a reserve player in sports. Are we or are we not a sport? You know, yeah, it fucking sucks. Sometimes a player get in gets injured and it ruins the team season. You know that what sucks happens. the most about this fucking precedent slash loophole that you're opening? You're now leading to a world where, look, obviously this won't really happen because life isn't this fucked up. But there's, it's now possible, Monty, we're now going to have a world where next year there's a really hard conversation going on for the season finals of like, look, I know it's going to hurt a bit, but you have to let us break your arm because we need to bring in like Alfari. Yep. He's willing to play and he's better at the matchup than you. So like, but it's my arm though. But if you break the arm though, you know how it works for Riot, but then you get the spot. So listen, take this edible and just look at the other way. Think of England <laughs> And listen, it'll be, it'll be like that movie Escape to Victory, if anyone knows. Basically, when, when there's a big siren goes off, we'll just crack it really quick. Ready? I don't want to live in that world. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys enjoy that you Black Mirror episode, but I don't want to live in that world. You don't even have to do that because as the Danny situation showed, if you are under acute mental stress, that will that is also a reason for it. That I'll fill in here is because you play a solo queue every day, everyone qualifies for being <laughs> under acute mental stress and the sort of mental strain that no a normal human in humane conditions should have to put up with. And also, Yumi exists in the game, so it's <laughs> close, Your Honor. I believe we get the substitution. Right? It's it's absolutely wild because who's responsible for 
evaluating this, right? And as we found out, when we when we were the ones saying this could be abused in the Danny situation, it turned out it was being abused by EG because they knew and pushed him to the brink. <laughs> Remember, remember, dude, people will forget this. When we first talked about that topic, Monty, we made it explicit. It was all a hypothetical. It was all potentially like speculation on what could happen if you allowed abuse of the rule and the precedent. And the maddest thing is, like the double lift leaner thing, it actually turned out not only was it happening, but we even then got like evidence it was. Like, that's so ridiculous in itself. But I hope people get that, like, now, why we point out when there's like a potential for abuse. Because until you get ahead of it, you have to close those loopholes before people abuse them because as you've seen in these scenarios people will abuse them yeah. absolutely they will abuse and, them and, and this is why every team has to have substitute players on their rosters like it, it it really is just that simple and if you don't have the proper substitute player like for example when we when we saw um when we with eg they didn't have a substitute ad carry they had like one of their coaches in you're shit out of luck man it, it, that's just how things are. That's two jungle players. Two. <laughs> so you have to have substitute players. What is the point of substitute players if you can just sign one of the greatest players who happens to be sitting on the bench or is sitting, you know, not even on the bench, just literally a free agent for the rest of the playoffs, which also, by the way, might directly qualify you for Worlds because, yeah, Fnatic has at least earned the right to play Golden Guardians, but they can just directly qualify for the world championship right now, which is a huge bonus. And Wonder probably will play pretty well in these matches, you would have to assume, considering that he's not going to have nerves in this situation. And Dom said he's been at least actively playing. So I don't know, man. It just, I don't understand what the fucking rules are if you can just bend them to your will. And like, yeah, it just sucks. Like, get wrecked, Fnatic. All I'm going to say Injuries is happen. I would never personally, because I'm, I'm a moral person, I would never abuse loopholes like this and lie and be disingenuous to get an advantage. But if, for example, you were a team that rhymes with GDS, let's say that Shio's just having a really bad time mentally with how the year's gone. You know, there's a guy called Inspired. He could just, you know, if you nip him. Rock up. I think, I think that, that world should be pretty nice, right? You know, pop him in the lineup. <laughs> just saying. It's, it's available. He is on the table. Yeah. Why not? I, it's it, this shit's, or, uh, you know, this shit's really crazy, I think. And uh, the, what's what's crazier to me is that nobody seems to care about it from the fan base perspective. Everybody just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, well, I guess it's just cool that in the most important matches of the year that Fnatic can just sign a new player after rosters have been locked. The whole thing's outrageous. Like, well, Fnatic, that sucks. Um, sometimes, sometimes things just don't go your way. And you're, I guess you just have to roll with whatever substitute player you actually legitimately have on your roster. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who their substitute player even is right now. Um, I guess Reckless? I mean, I guess he probably still under contract, theoretically, right? Yeah. I, th I think he's still under contract. I think Reckless well, might we actually go. be their sub. I'm also yeah. willing to accept that possibility. Just have Reckless play top lane. And I, I'm, listen, I accept that. Whatever happens to the outcome, if they win the league, if they win Worlds, they'll be the egg on my face. But I think he should play top lane. I think that's the move for me. Well, I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out who is on there. Who is there? I'm looking at the contract. Fair, he already has that Kennen pocket pick. So we'll start, you know, that's, that is one right there. We've got, there's one. We've got one for you. He does it technically play Garen, 
If you remember, they played Yumi Gara in that one game. There's two. He's got two picks already so far. I'm liking it. Bring Reckless back. I say bring Reckless back. Yeah, he's still on the roster, technically. He's he's in the global contract database. He has listed there. So I guess he's their official substitute player. And to be fair, a lot of top laners are scared to push too far up the lane and constantly just look for a nice reset. So he's in many ways already a top laner. (laughs) Just a subtle point if you understand how we used to catch the side lane waves, you know. All right. Um, any other little topics you want to hit up this week before we do viewer questions? Is there anything we've missed? I think we've got most of them. Yep. Uh, worth noting that uh, Summoning Insight will be live on Sunday after LEC this coming week um, because I am moving. So we can't do it at the normal time, but we will get an episode out to you. It'll just be a few days earlier. So you guys can look forward to that. Uh, we'll take a quick break and come back with viewer questions. Right, we're back for the viewer questions segment. The viewer questions themselves are sourced not by live viewers, but by people who are viewers of ours who are on our Discord and subscribe to us. So go to the Last Free Nation Discord and subscribe there if you want to do so. Monty will now ask some of the interesting questions from that list. But we're <laughs> going to cap this one. It won't be as long as the other ones just because we, we haven't got limited time for this one today. Yeah, so basically, guys, uh, first off, we have a couple weeks because we didn't do one last week uh, of you guys submitting questions. And secondly, I am literally in the process of moving my entire house right now, so I have to go do that. So I'm sorry, this will be a little bit shorter than normal. Uh, If you want your question answered, just keep asking it in the new channel next week. Uh, The cost of LCS teams providing their players housing must be magnitudes larger larger than minimum California wage. In other contractual work, you get paid and you sort out your own living situation. Why has esports gone so far as to pay for the player's rent as well? Is it a leftover from the time of gaming houses? If the LCS does move to a cheaper location, would it not be the first thing to get cut costs or would it stay? So a lot of the reason is um, it's hard to ask players to sign long-term leases when they don't have stability in terms of their own um, contracts, right? So like, it's pretty shitty in my opinion to um, do like, bring a player on and then if you cut them they're on the hook for this year lease and they don't have a a guaranteed income from the team anymore it is somewhat residual from the gaming houses but gaming houses were very efficient because you could get large houses like the cost of housing people in a gaming house was a lot less than getting them all individual apartments and also especially because you wanted i think more oversight when the the scene was newer and players on average were were a lot younger just so you would have oversight over the team um but yeah i i think that it has become a perk that players have been become used to now did it need to exist that we had to pay for players' apartments when they were making seven figures? Probably not. Like, that's kind of ridiculous. So maybe it is a little bit of a holdout. What do you think? To me, there's two things. One is, when, like, the era you're talking about when everyone was in a team house is when, like, you have to understand, that's not actually a positive that someone pays for you to live there. That's like you actually live in a content factory where yeah. you have to work all day long. Like, when you when we say, like, we're providing their accommodation, when you're in a team house like that, it even allowed coaches to have access to you, like, 15 hours a day. Like, I actually think that was even, like, egregious in terms of how much, like, 
interaction you had with people who were essentially your colleagues at work. Like a lot of people, in my opinion, the reason they burned out in that era is because they never felt like they had a moment to themselves or that they were away from work or that you weren't in some context in the bubble of your job. And then the other thing is when you talk about the angle of like, why is this a problem? One of the biggest issues people are going to continuously have, and I don't blame you because I didn't know about business at all a few years ago, is you have to understand how negotiations work. The people who pay and offer the most in the market set the value. It doesn't matter that you sit down and go, but no player should be paid $4 million to play league. What matters is, did someone offer him $4 million? And if yep. someone, if he hadn't have taken that offer, was the next offer $3.8 Because if that's the case, then spoil it. It doesn't matter what you think he's worth. Someone guaranteed is going to be paying more than $3 million in this example. So one of the other problems is, it became a standard perk, as Monty says, because every team was offering you, will pay your accommodation as well. Now, no one else, unfortunately, has the innovation to say, well, actually, I want to structure my deal differently. I want more cash, but then I want to talk up my accommodation. No, no, everyone just goes, right, yes, then I want the accommodation plus the high salary plus whatever else you get. So it just became a standard thing you gave them, basically. I think it also, there's no way to put this kindly. Pro players oftentimes are not highly functioning human beings in the real world. And if you're a team, do you really want some kind of crisis with your player where they are struggling to figure out their own living situation when you can just deal with that for them and take it off their mind and have them focus on playing the game? Um, sometimes it's just better to be in control of that situation rather than your player fucking it up and then getting distracted from the game. It, it, that is a fair as a fair I will say though this is one of the reasons why you you guys think you'd be too harsh to pro play no no there are people this is why I roasted the fuck out of them during that walkout there are people who are millionaires right now this year and for the past years who have been making millions of dollars while never having even the basic life expenses that everyone else in the world has so yes. like a guy who makes a job where he makes 60k a year has to pay for his fucking accommodations transport to work food this guy makes millions gets all of that for free and then turns around and goes hey moist critical and Ludwig can you talk about how exploited I am as a worker in the capitalist system and then they're actually telling this cocksucker like yeah this is what happens at the end of late stage capitalism nightmare scenarios like you a young child who's dog shit at a video game getting paid millions of dollars to play it I hope we get to my to my dream of communism where you would have a much better life like <laughs> like, I, that's why i hate pro players on some level i don't like if we're in a call and we just talk about the game i love them they're great personalities but there are certain areas where yes they do have like the functionality of a fucking 13 year old child who isn't on the honor roll yeah i i'm really looking forward to hassan's new take the socialist who makes millions of dollars and lives in west hollywood by the way um, a little random detail you might enjoy this you know, good old Hassan, the virtuous Hassan. So because he is one of those left-wing people who thinks it's like morally fine for sex work to exist. I don't know about you, but in any moral framework I'm aware of in human history, one of the worst things that can happen to women is to sell their bodies for sex in, and money just to live. That's actually considered like a sort of marker that society's at a terrible spot when that's what a woman has to turn to. We're not talking about people who choose to do it for millions, just has to turn to that. This is brilliant. Because of that, he thought it was fun on a stream once to brag that when he was in, I think like Germany or something, he went to some brothel it was later revealed in a story that that brothel used trafficked underage women in the brothel 
That's the virtuous character you're letting tell yeah. everyone. And by the way, I'll just throw this up there. Anyone watching this broadcast right now who's in the industry of esports, if you ever support, retweet, or in any way promote Hassan's content, and you're someone who had the gall to call out Carlos, you need to look in a mirror, mate. You need to go and look in a mirror right now. Because I thought it was all about trafficking with you guys. I thought you were all against that. Like, you wouldn't ever take anyone who actually himself fucking uses that shit. Like, give me a break. So, no, wild, these, people, these people are all morons, mate. Sadly, this is why, like, that shit is a LARP. Like, they just do it as, to them, that's just their sort of, like, theme, if you know what I mean. I don't think, like, here's the real problem with topics like that. Do you think Hassan Piker is actually sat down reading Das Kapital? I bet, he just, I bet he read like the fucking, you know, like, you know, those ones where it's like Cliff the penguin note. primer work. Exactly like the one where it's just like, you know, it's got a big picture of Karl Marx's head on the front. It's like, get the quick 101 on it. Like, he's just doing that shit, isn't he, mate? It's just, a good, it's just like another, he may as well be like a variety streamer. That's just his grift is some weird politics streamers or whatever. It's whatever on that one. Yikes. Hollywood has discovered LFM culture and have asked the four-play team to put together a Barbenheimer-esque double esports feature. You are to combine two single-day events from esports history into one weekend bonanza. The first day is serious long with a stacked talent lineup and will forever be remembered for its explosiveness. The second day will be fun, silly, woke, will divide the masses, and is unlikely to be particularly memorable. What do you pitch to Hollywood? <laughs> So which two esports events would we slam together in one weekend? One of which is serious and one of which is like fun, silly and ridiculous. I think you got to take that Heroes of New Earth thing that we did in the for the fun and silly one. The Heroes of New Earth final that we did in our esports cringe. That is I think that is the peak of esports cringe content. So you have to take that purely because the wonderful thing about esports is that it is both hilariously awkward and cringe and can be serious at the same time. And that's what I love about it is those two poles interacting with each other. Um, so I would take that. And then as for what's the, what's the most serious, like epic match that you would take. I mean, you could take like whatever, something from like TI or something. Like if everyone remembers, like, I, like for me, one of the best ones was that one where Navi played Alliance in the TI final. That was a banger. <laughs> there you go. TI four, I think. You briefly alluded to Westerns in your last foreplay episode. Um, have either of you ever watched Once Upon a Time in the West? Oh, that was a long time ago. Yes. The problem with that, though, is he means the en Enrique Morricone one, right? Yeah, the one from the 60s. Yes, it's been a long time, though, so I don't know if I have any recent thoughts about that one. I mean, I'm just not a big fan of spaghetti westerns anyway, so whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, what would it take for Faker to lose his goat status when you break down those three worlds? I've, I've tested it, nothing. The answer is nothing. He can objectively, with his eye test, not play anywhere close to that for absolutely five or six years, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As far as I can tell, I can tell you the answer. Here's the answer. Someone has to literally, at one point with the eye test, look at the best, and then also just win more rings than him. That's it. That's it. I mean, I've learned with the Brady thing, Monty. It's a waste of time. As soon as, soon as someone buys into the notion Brady is the goat, nothing can ever prove he isn't. There's no arguments against it. So I don't think there is an answer, right? What, like, what, could you even envision someone who can overtake in the minds of the fans? Surely you'd have, they'd have to have all the world's titles, right? The, the, thing about, the thing about Faker is that at least even in the nephew fans, they've kind of just they, they never watched even when he was good oh, like no, really so good now. So so now now he's just being hyped up by the nephews 
yes. which is weird because they weren't even around or bothered to watch the games that made him famous in the first place. And the T1 fan base no, is so joking. outrageous. See, see, let me let me test your ability to empathize and relate to a pleb, right? When I say the opinion I have, which is considered controversial, that I think actually rookie is the goat of League of Legends because I only care about how your body of work was, what your player was. I don't care about championships, mate. Championships are won by GMs, teams in general. They're not individual players don't win championships. I'll tell you right now. So when if when I say rookie is the goat of League of Legends, what do you think the number one? It's not ring title. What do you think the number one reason as to why he can't be the goat is? What do you think they say to me? He hasn't been to Worlds. Hasn't gone that's to it, a lot of Worlds. It. Literally, <laughs> their logic goes: he didn't make it to Worlds all these years, so he can't be. So by their logic, in the LPL, easily the most talent stacked division ever in League of Legends for about five years now. By the way, because he doesn't just come top four, he can't be the best. Yeah. What, I, what I also have with someone like that, mate. Like I can't have a debate with someone like that. It's, it's also the lack of of just international competition in general. Because I think over the last five years, the debate about Faker versus Rookie would be very different if we got to see that matchup. But we never awesome. get to see that matchup. So, <laughs> I mean, here's an, here's one for you. Have them have the same careers, but just make it so that like MSI has the format it had this year for all of history. Dude, wouldn't that be so much more like sample size, opportunity to see match? It would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like we'd have a totally different perspective on who the best players were. All right. Thoughts on the TI format changes. They seem atrocious to me. TI has always had one of, if not the best format of any esports tournament. Why mess with a good thing? Really disappointed with how Valve has been treating Dota lately. So the TLDR and the changes are two groups of 10 to five groups of four. So same number uh well i guess yeah fewer teams actually oh no same number of teams so still four groups teams. of five it's either oh, four, four groups of five games. okay teams play I way fewer i'm looking up now now teams play way fewer games before being eliminated and moving to bracket stage so i think one of the things that was hard logistically for ti is while the format was good you had to have like lots of simultaneous streams going on and the days were super long so it may just be something that they're trying to cut in terms of budget or time um, because they don't want to do more days of the tournament if they want to do fewer broadcast hours per day. It was pretty crazy to try and follow that, though, with the number of simultaneous games that were happening and the length of time they were on air every day. So I have some level of You just of don't watch all the games. It's a sport. Not. You don't watch. You just watch the games you care about. You get my point. You get my yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't try to follow all those games. I just watched the teams I care about. It's great. <laughs> bummer. I guess it's a bummer, but... I, I don't know if there's more to the changes than that. Um, I, I, I don't know if I really have an opinion but uh, about this format, but the old format was really robust and I really enjoyed it. I mean, if people don't know, like the old format is basically what IPL5 is. That's why everyone loved IPL5 when it happened. So yes, I thought it was a better format. Like I also did like the group stage angle, especially because it was only like the fucking... Um, it, there was only something like two teams got eliminated in the group stage. So even if you finish like second or last, you could still make some crazy bracket run. So I don't think it's the end of the world, though. It's still group stage play into TI. Yeah, so it's, it's whatever, into the bracket. Like, I'm trying to see if there's any like bigger fundamental change that they haven't talked about. I think it's just that more teams go out in the group stage, Monty. I think, that, I think that's what got is the issue. That's but it still looks fairly robust to me. Like you have like a bunch of playoff games, uh, like a phase of, of other matches of people who are lower down. And then you have still like a pretty good bracket. I think it's still a good format. It's still way better than Worlds. So take, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Or the CS majors. <laughs> Easy. 
With the gameplay we've seen throughout this entire year for C9 and the LCS, what changes do you two in particular think that is realistic and or something you personally would like to see? Is a consensus you have to place mid lane top in support um, fudge and, uh, with Fudge's underperformance the entire year? We're, we're revamping C9's roster, basically. Yeah. Uh, you do, you do, I think the only, are the only ones are keeping, right? Uh, yeah, you definitely keep those guys, by the way. I don't see a world where it's feasible to upgrade off of those positions. So I would say for me, obviously the, the play you make is trying to get Jojo for mid lane. If you can swing that at all, that would probably be pretty huge for you. Um, I'm not We've sure. We've got you an import slot, remember? We've got one import slot. Yeah, that's with. true. Yeah, you probably, you, you can always import a top laner. I'm not sure if there's a domestic support player that you'd rather be having right now maybe you can get vulcan back but because the problem with vulcan is that vulcan and sven didn't like playing together and so if sven is no longer on the roster he's playing with berserker instead maybe you could take that route but if i'm flyquest i don't think i'm giving up vulcan i think he's too valuable as a uh, resident player for roster construction reasons so he's one of the players. I think I would the Jojo call's a good one. Jojo call's not a bad one because it's a domestic player as well. So it, it keeps us like we can use the import slot for a different position. I, I, if I had to say, to me, it's just obvious that if you have import, you probably use it for top lane. I think top lane's so bad yeah. in the West right now. I mean, there's so many good Koreans can play that role. And then also, if you're going for the support one, dude, you don't even have to go crazy on that one. Like I think someone like Huey could be good. He's a good yeah. player. What's wrong with him? Yeah. He's been good this year. Seems like a vet to me. On a scale of F to S tier, rate the following esports professions in terms of pay and overall job satisfaction. Okay, F to S tier. Pro player. S tier in S, terms of pay. S, S plus, 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 plus. <laughs> you get more money than you should ever receive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, at least in NA, your job's easy. I mean, the job is hard. So, And job satisfaction. I mean, people love to compete. If we're Coach. talking about League of Legends, by the way, technically you get more job satisfaction than they deserve in League of Legends. Because in League <laughs> of Legends, in NA now, you could be on the fourth best team and go to the World Championship while Rookie watches on stream like, wish that was me. <laughs> like, that's your life. Like, the fuck? Mate, come in and see go and see what it's like. You, you're not doing that shit. Like, you, you might rock up as the one last team. Okay, what, what, after, the, what after pro player? Coach, analyst, slash scout. Coach is going to be like F for this, for pay and for satisfaction. Because even if you win, you get no credit. Dude, people, unironically, the, the worst examples ever are the European coaches, mate. People tell Young Buck and Grabs that they know nothing about League of Legends. Yep. I can't even, I can't even process that, mate. Like, I don't, that's how you know these are all 14-year-olds that never had a job. You can't be bad at your job and get the results they had, guys. It's impossible. They have to at least be, like, sort of good slash competent, at a minimum. Yeah. If not, maybe they were even the best. You know what I mean? So I think coach is pretty low because all the coaches are no tell. By the way, first of all, you get paid way less. And then secondly, you get all the blame and none of the credit. So that's got to be F tier for that, surely. A uh, journalist. <laughs> but that's got to be F. In the middle. Really? Uh, well, the real problem with this is this, right? It is a job where it depends whether we're talking about the upper end of it or the average journalist. Because if you're the average journalist in esports, Monty, here's where you will get satisfaction. Oh, you are an absolute nobody who's not even doing much in this world now, but you could be semi-famous off that. You can have people know your shitty Pokemon avatar, and you can get to have a vote for who wins the MVP of the LCS. You 
I get a bunch of like sort of like, wow, I can't believe this is happening to me. Now I will say the pay is terrible. Like that's obviously dog shit. And if you were actually a real journalist, it's the least satisfying job because you can be Richard Lewis and say 99.99% of things that happened and the only responses go, huh, who cares? Didn't we all know that already based on a rumor they heard from a Pokemon? <laughs> or they just go, yeah, but what about the 0.0000000001% time you weren't totally right, Richard? Aren't you a corrupt piece of shit? So like actually job satisfaction, very low for that. Probably very low for that. Yeah, the, the recognition you get and also people... People are just shitty to you because to hate on you all day long, aren't they? You report on something about their team that they don't like, and then they just go ballistic they on just you. Kill the messenger every time, basically. Yeah. yeah, they kill the messenger every time. It's like it's I'm trying to think who this who this was. Fuck, this even happened recently in esports, mate. I can't remember the. I'm I'm blanking on the scenario. Maybe someone will know what I'm talking about. Basically, someone just reported some actual news that was like news that you wouldn't want to hear, and everyone was just hating on the guy who did it. And it's like, but he's just report. He didn't make the news happen though. He's just reporting the news, and they were all hating on him. Like you piece of shit. How dare you? It was like he didn't do it, did he? He just telling you what happened. But that is a real human response, sadly, that people will give you. Is there another category? Is court is like ordinary? Oh, there's a lot more. There's a lot. So interview slash translator. That's pretty good. It's probably pretty good in both regards. Actually. I think the pay is not terrible for that. And obviously, yeah, you, 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 you don't have in the interview. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I say that's like it's a not B. Bad. Yeah, Bro- broadcast talent. That's like a C. That's fairly thing, high up. You really maybe B. The problem, again, is we're talking equivalent to what? Like, you might think yeah. they make nothing, mate. But to me, I'm kind of a bit more harsh. I look at some of these dickheads who do LCS, and I'm like, you get paid 90K <laughs> to be some shitter on that. Like, that's not bad, mate. Like, I look, I don't respect you, but that's not a bad gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the thing is, is that you can you can get paid okay. Um, I would say on, like, the lower end of okay a lot of the time. But you you have no upward mobility you have nothing that you can ever translate this into and as we saw with dash you can get be, be you can get paid well one day and then get paid zero dollars the next day and that's it that's the end so it's be, it's mostly because of the monopolies that exist in the space that being a broadcast talent is pretty unstable and um you are not in control of your own life or career whatsoever which is pretty lame and there's no way to gain control because you can't go anywhere else uh it sucks a lot I just totally uh, mean jokes run through my head. Basically, <laughs> I was just, I'll, what I'll do is I'll mask who it is. So, you know, then there'll be no problem. Basically, th- that's the problem on you. Again, it's all about the context of where you come from. Like, put it this way. Some of these guys, if they weren't making that night you care, what would they even have to look forward to, Monty? The yep. monthly barn raising. I was very solid. I slid that one under there. Just see you can figure it out. See you can figure it out. You know, you do the all work. Right, you do the right. work, guys. You do the leg work. Um, physician esports doctor that's probably like s because you do nothing and you make a lot of money because you're a doctor the problem is then you get wrecked by me in a video shower give a doc. <laughs> uh psychiatrist slash mental health coats that's also s plus because you're you're you you get paid a fuck ton by people to do as far as i can tell very little the best part is if you work with a team who used to lose and Apropos of nothing you did, let's say a player just himself overcomes it or plays great next time. If they win, people say you did it all and that you like transformed their mind and you were like the panacea. Like, yeah, that the actual that's gonna be an S tier plus for that one coming. <laughs>
Easy. Commission, commissioner. That is a great job because at least in esports, the commissioners don't even have to deal with the downsides because they never talk publicly, uh, take responsibility for their actions. Who even is the commissioner of the LCK? Never taking any responsibility. So that's like a that's like an S tier job because you don't nobody expects you to actually be the commissioner. You're not even doing your job. So the downsides don't exist. It's pretty sweet. Tournament organizer. It's probably like a solid B tier right now. I'll say the one thing that would probably would shock people on that one is, unless you're the absolute top guys, the pay is way worse to work for TOs than people probably realize. That's why, that's why actual commentators don't do it anymore. Because unless you're like actually the guy who runs ESL or something, you're not going to be on a big salary. You're not going to be on commentator money, put it that way. Sure. I feel like this job satisfaction is fairly good, though. You do get to put on essentially what yeah. is the real life pulling of esports, which is huge events. So yeah, those are the things fun. people remember, you know. Yeah, it's fun and it's satisfying for sure. <clears throat> producer. Well, considering that they have to compete with producers for, you know, actual shit in Hollywood in Los Angeles, you know, that's pretty good because you get to work on a cool product and you get paid well. The producers get paid well, uh, too well. In a lot of cases, in my opinions, for their general level of quality. But th the job of producer, the reason why they get paid well is because they can go do other things. They can produce other live television. They can produce other movies or shows. They have the skill set, so they have to pay them properly. So that's pretty good. I would say that's like A tier. You're not going to get paid as much as you would at doing other production stuff, but the job satisfaction is probably pretty good. Player agent. Well, that's probably not going to be great now. I wouldn't want to manage professional players. But you may have made a lot of money in the past. Problem is, a couple of years ago, that was like a sweet spot job, though. You were definitely getting mad more money than people realized because some sure. of them were making like the percentage of the deal. And some yep. of them were just running game on everyone. So once upon a time, it was a good grift. Uh, lawyer. Well, you, I mean, lawyers get paid a certain amount. So that's a great job, honestly. You can always go practice law. To, you know, a lot of this is going to be contract law, which is applicable across entertainment or other many other aspects of the industry, corporate law. So this is this is pretty good, pretty good gig, I would say. It's probably like an A, A to S tier. General manager. I think that just depends on the team you're on because you could have a lot of control or you could have almost zero control depending on the team. So job satisfaction, I think, purely rests in how much power is invested in you to make decisions within the org. I think we skip the rest. Go to another question. This lasted right. too long. <laughs> all right. Uh, throughout all of human history, there have been many individuals who are either A, spurred to uh, discipline and fulfilled their own greatness as a result of, of encountering observable motivating moments and circumstances. So basically exterior motivation, I guess, is, and B had seemingly insane natural discipline that created miracles, regardless of a specific event, which do you think is more common? So are people individuals either spurred to greatness by an exterior force providing motivation or internal motivation resulting in and discipline resulting in a great feat. I mean, it's essentially like a classic philosophical question, which goes, are great men made or are they or, born that or, way, yeah. essentially? So the problem with it is, in terms of normal people, just the average humans, I would say most of them require external motivation or things to spur them forwards or like in the wolf at the door. I actually do think, though, if we're talking only about like the greatest men ever, they all do seem to have some internal like generating force, some vital yes. potency that makes them just like if people don't know that 
there wasn't like, it's not like the rent was due. So Alexander the Great conquered the world. Like he had some crazy vision of conquering the world, you know? So I well, think to me, I'd probably say the latter. And, and the thing about, the thing about being, you know, a, a, a achieving greatness. So let's talk about Alexander, right? He had all the setup for success based on his father, Philip, who was, uh, you know, a very, like ambitious and successful king and military commander in his own right. But many people would have just sat on their laurels and gotten fat off of the inheritance that they were given. And he was like, I mean, the joke is most people, no, what if I just conquered everything? Do that thing where it's like they can become a millionaire because they had billions of someone else's money. If you get the joke, like that's it. The right. joke, what usually the next generation is liking it. Yeah. So I will say that you know there was obviously something in Alexander's case that caused him to want to do really crazy things, such as instead of I don't know enjoying everything that was in his life, going on insane marches all the way to India, never taking any break, and continuing to conquer the entire Persian Empire. Um, which was vastly larger than his own. So there was something clearly, crazily internally motivated about that because he could have lived an extremely good life based on the kingdom that he inherited, right? Plus, there's that, like, story where they claim that, like, his mother told him that. Actually, his father wasn't Philip. It was, like, Zeus himself oh, or something. Which, an oracle it, told him that in Egypt, is, but yeah. Yeah, there you go. Which in this era <laughs> is sort of, like, that's, like, the sign of, like, just go ham, basically. So, like, at that point, you think you just, you are God's gift to the world, aren't you? He may have, uh, he may have, Thorin, by the way, made some insinuations to the Oracle that that was the case and then paid them a lot of money. And then that, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that prediction came out of the Oracle's mouth. <laughs> so, uh, maybe, maybe he was the genesis of that in the, in the, re in reality. Uh, I love the Thorin video going through the history of peripherals pros used in different eras. Is there an, an, any intention of doing more of those? Only a few years ago, pros were holding on to outdated tech, but I feel like recently there's been a more of an openness to the new stuff as it's improved, like most people using wireless now since it isn't unreliable like it was before. That's true. I mean, the Logitech um, wireless technology and the low latency has changed well, what a lot of players use in terms of peripherals, right? The only problem with that is, though, it just almost disappoints me how limited, like, the sheer paucity of imagination in eSports. Because if you're, like, going to use wireless mice, then I'm not going to put an extra thousand hours into mid lane. I'm just going to get the tech that I have a device that I point towards your mouse and it turns your mouse off or fucks it up or doubles your sensitivity. How are you ever going to catch me? There's not even a detection system. Spoiler, there's the Mission Impossible movie that one, no one would watch, but B would be amazing. So Mission <laughs> Impossible, rogue mouse thing. I don't know, whatever. Uh, during game three of the LCK finals, it felt like the replays were really harming the flow of the game. This is a classic LCK thing, by the way. It would come out of a replay and a play is already underway. Do you think LOL or CS overuse replays? I think LCK overuses replays. LCK has a massive replay boner of showing really stupid shit again and then missing the flow of the game. So even though the observing is good, I think sometimes the producers like call for replays of very simple plays that happen. And that has been a problem. So I think a, a, a hundred percent LCK overuses replays. I don't think it's as bad in other regions. I think it's the Korean but broadcast. Here's the thing. Replay is not an issue at all in CS because you have the time between the rounds. The biggest issue in Counter-Strike to this day is every TO 
permanently, instantly, the second they think the round is over, just goes to a crowd shot or a player shot. And the worst thing now is it's actually gotten so bad in CSGO now that they do it and they fuck up diffuses, mate. Like, diffuses have happened that they weren't showing on, on screen because <laughs> some producer just thought, oh, the round is over, and they just went to, like, a camera yeah, shot of the crowd, which is wild. It's even not the major, mate. It's wild. So it's not replays. It's other things that are the problem in CSGO. Because in CSGO, half the problem the TOs have is they can't stop wanking off over the fact they have a crowd. Like it's like they it's like they think it's surreal that the event's happening. They can't stop going on about it. Even though to me that's actually such low rent behavior, Monty. Because what you're actually showing there, I'll give you the example. You probably saw it on Twitter. You know how everyone couldn't shut the fuck up about how Ben Affleck was at the Valorant like VCT thing. <laughs> when you do that, what you're actually communicating is I really did think we're all just a bunch of loser yep. nerds, and nobody yep. in the world who has any relevance would ever care about us because how could they? We're all loser nerds. Here's the thing: I've met people like that, guys. When I I meet them, I just go like, oh, hi, Ben. If they introduce themselves, like, you just treat me like a normal human for fuck's sake. Yep. It's like you've been there before. I think you're supposed yep. to be there, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Don't ask for selfies. <laughs> uh, during game three of, uh, oh, sorry. On a scale of one to 10, how does the KT failure rate and why? Do they beat Gen G if they actually. There. This one's pretty, it's pretty up far up there, guys. It it's is. like. Because I we thought they should have just won the split, mate. This this one's pretty bad to come through. They were first place in the split. They beat Genji towards the end. We talked about this on on our fraud alert segment on Power Spike, right. where we rated it like an eight or nine out of ten yeah, out fair. of fraud. I mean, the fact that they lost a T one twice is just terrible, and especially the way they drafted and all those. Yeah, yeah the way sad, they played mate. the game. It was sad. Shit, man. <laughs> When LOL eventually dies, do you see another MOBA replacing it, or does it have to be another genre? I've, I've talked about this before, but the history of esports is the history of technology making new genres possible, right? Like, MOBA was, wasn't an esport because when everybody's internet connection was super unreliable, if you had one person disconnect from a game of Dota, the game was fucking ruined. And that's why most people were playing, like, 1v1 games, where if somebody disconnects, you either win or you lose, and you're on to the next game. You're not just, like, trapped in some sort of insane purgatory. Um, you know, we didn't have Battle Royale games because it, the technology didn't exist to get 100 people in a server at one time. So uh, we never know what the next genre of esport is going to be because likely it's going to be enabled by technology that doesn't exist yet. The next genre of esports will be a totally global, millions of people at the same time game of Bomberman, where it's a <laughs> giant map, and you're all playing at the same time in one map. <laughs> That's the future right there. That's the future. Basically, it's what I just wish was real, but not really <laughs> Shout out the old school Bomberman game, so those were the shit. Those were the shit. Tomorrow, I moved to Seoul to study economics abroad for the upcoming semester, as I have personally never visited South Korea before. I would love to know if you have any recommendations when it comes to museums that I should try to visit or any day-long hiking trips. Um, I, I would go... Uh, I, so first off, you should go to the Korean War Museum. That is super cool. Also was the site where they held uh, the, the, the championship in season two where clg eu almost won a title in korea so you can think about that while you're there but very good museum you can go to places like Gyeongbokgung, which is like the old palace that they have a very interesting audio tour there there's tons of hikes even within seoul so you can hike up to namsan the tower uh with the tower at the top because they didn't develop the mountains in seoul so all of them are basically parks if you want longer if you want a you know more spectacular national park you can go take a bus 
uh, from Seoul out to Soroksan, which is on the East Coast. And that is a national park with these big granite mountains. That's very fun to hike around in. I've been out there. Lots of stuff to do. By the way, the most classic museum-y type thing is obviously just to go to like the Hanok village where you just get to basically oh, yeah. see like a recreation of what the older, because that's like quite interactive. It's actually quite a fun day out as well. Yeah, and you can dress up in hanboks, which is the traditional Korean clothing, and take pictures for, for the gram. <laughs> Uh, the two of you are making a new talk show about general esports and focusing on entertainment. The two of you are producing it and do not get to be on the talk show. What esports talent do you pick to be on it? So general esports topic. Okay, general. Okay. So we're picking people who sort of like know about esports. Of all trades. They can just talk about anything pretty much. I'll tell you one I would pick immediately, which would probably be out of left field for some people, would actually be Sideshow, the guy from Overwatch yep. and Valorant. Like, to me, like, I, this will sound weird, but you can go look this up if you want, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a shout out on this particular episode. Go look up a video he did of his thoughts on the whole Carlos G2 thing. Because, by the way, he's against all Andrew Tate or that angle. So, so he's not biased in that regard. But I thought he had one of the most level-headed takes on the whole thing. Basically, the summation was this, Monty. And he's the first person I saw make this observation. He just basically came to the conclusion, if you look at how they treated Carlos, esports in general, and how they obviously clearly wouldn't treat other people in certain precedents, essentially what they did was, because they themselves have no actual access to Andrew Tate, they just punished Carlos as if he was Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought what a fucking amazing observation that is from a guy who actually has a natural bias against the individual we're talking about in this case so look, he's someone I can tell you I haven't seen him in Overwatch and seen him in Valorant a very different game this guy could talk about anything he's just a really smart guy with a really he's a smart guy mind. and he's also a great entertainer great entertainer oh it's really uh, funny as well yeah yeah his content is excellent he'd easily be on this list yeah there you go I would say I would say Uber would be another one from Overwatch League, like knows a lot about the esports scene in general, is very articulate, does get like passionately worked up and angry. You can see the Four Horsemen episodes that he's been on uh, and his content, I think, is is also really good. And I, I know he has a good kind of read and he's not afraid either. I mean, he's talked pretty negatively about Blizzard in the past, even while continuing to do Overwatch League because he's very passionate about it and has... So I think solid ethics around the scene. Obviously, Richard would be another one, but I, I assume oh, Richard is not is not in the. I, yeah. I, I assume we're not talking about Richard. The joke here. is, unless you're doing some like pure analytical show, there's almost no show would it be made better by adding Richard as one of the people in the mix. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's hard though because a random one. I'll maybe I'll because this will just be a fun one. For me. If you just want someone amiable to round the group, maybe like Anders Bloom. Because the thing about Anders <laughs> is he always has a very unique like perspective on everything. And honestly, Shox is probably another one because she... I can't afford works... to admit that it's too high. I thought we were keeping it reasonable. You know? <laughs> well, she works in so many different esports that she brings a variety of perspectives in. Um, and I think she would be very good at moderating some of these discussions. It's hard because most talent in esports only work in like one game and like literally have no idea what is happening in the broader industry. It's it's honestly shocking to me how many people I talk to who just don't give a shit about what is happening in the broader industry, have no knowledge about money, the state of different scenes. They just don't care. They're they're myopically focused on their one esport and that is it. Uh, all right, one last question, guys, and I have to go pack. Uh, follow up on last week's mythology question. Choose a pantheon and make a god representing you in it. What do you mean? What is your appearance? What special items do you have? What values you represent? And what is your presumed? Okay, no, we're not going to do the pantheon, like choose a pantheon. I, I don't know. What What would you be the god of Thorin? 
I mean, I, I like always to make it funny. So I would probably be something like unduly complicated petty revenge. <laughs> I think we're you both know? on the retribution side you of things. Yeah, I mean, I named myself exactly. Monte Cristo. Yeah. I, I would love, I would love to be a god of retribution. <laughs> Where I mean, you, get you, know? yeah. <laughs> you get your karmic comeuppance. You get your karmic comeuppance. And the tools that I hold are whatever tools you use. So I only appear wielding the weapons of my opponents, right? So I use their own tools against them. There you go. I mean, I would have something similar. I would use, obviously, my weapons would be weapons of distraction. It would be mirrors. And I would essentially <laughs> use the things you've done and said against you. It would be like a mirror in one hand and like a, and a, like a, a simplistic recording device in another, you know. Maybe like a, a conch shell that just echoes so much to I can still hear it later. And so I can replay what you said to me in, in antiquity now and then also show you like, instead of a tweet, like this is what, this is what you looked like when you fucked there or whatever, you know. I, th so I think, I think, I think you, your mirror should show their own thoughts, the truth of their own thoughts. They, they oh, can't escape also, it, right? As a final way to destroy you completely, I have a th I have a third device, which is also a mirror. And the way this destroys you is, at the end, I just show you the man you could have been if you didn't. Yes, I was that. about to say that. That's great. That, that's the way I completely destroy <laughs> you at fire. the end. Your, your soul is just burned up exactly. That's fire. I love it. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks, guys. Sorry, there are a lot more like a lot more questions. We'll get We're not going to next time. It's all good. We yeah. got it on Sunday anyway. Please, it's up on Sunday. please. Re-ask yeah. your questions and we'll try and get there. My my packing extravaganza is not going to be done by Sunday, so I am warning you on Sunday it will also be a shorter question segment. Although maybe if my packing is done by Sunday, it might not be, but we'll hope Let's that's see. the case. And we can do a long packing uh, or a long uh, question segment. That will mean Monty is in a good place in packing up everything he owns. Exactly. Basically, <laughs> if the episode at the viewer question starts like a fucking, what's it, House of Pain song, like, pack it up, pack it in, let me pick it, then then you'll know it's fire. Then we'll Very good. All right, guys. Sorry about the shorter questions this week. Uh, we'll see you again on Sunday for our episode, and then we'll be back on a, a normal schedule after that. See you then.